0: Narrative and Legendary Poems by John Greenleaf Whittier Mabel Martin, A Harvest Idol Proem I, The River Valley 2, The Husking 3, The Witch's Daughter 4, The Champion V, In the Shadow 6, The Betrothal The Prophecy of Samuel Sewell The Red River Voyageur The Preacher The Truce of Piscataqua My Playmate Cobbler-Keyser's Vision. Amy Wentworth. The Countess Mabel Martin. A Harvest Idol. Susanna Martin, an aged woman of Amesbury, Massachusetts, was tried and executed for the alleged crime of witchcraft. Her home was in what is now known as Pleasant Valley on the Merrimack, a little above the Old Ferry Way, where, tradition says, an attempt was made to assassinate Sir Edmund Andrus on his way to Falmouth, afterward Portland, and Pemaquid, which was frustrated by a warning timely given. Goody Martin was the only woman hanged on the north side of the Merrimack during the dreadful delusion. The aged wife of Judge Bradbury who lived on the other side of the Pau River was imprisoned and would have been put to death but for the collapse of the hideous persecution. The substance of the poem which follows was published under the name of the witch's daughter in the National Era in 1857. In 1875 my publishers desired to issue it with illustrations, and I then enlarged it and otherwise altered it to its present form. The principal addition was in the verses which constitute part one. Proem I call the old time back. I bring my lay in tender memory of the summer day when, where our native river lapsed away. We dreamed it over, while the thrushes made songs of their own, and the great pine trees laid on warm new lights the masses of their shade. And she was with us, living o'er again her life in ours, despite of years and pain, the autumn's brightness after latter rain. Beautiful in her holy peace as one who stands, at evening, when the work is done, glorified in the setting of the sun. Her memory makes our common landscape seem fairer than any of which painters dream, lights the brown hills and sings in every stream. For she whose speech was always truth's pure gold heard, not unpleased, its simple legends told. And loved with us the beautiful and old, I, the river valley, across the level tableland, a grassy, rarely trodden way, with thinnest skirt of birch and spray, and stunted growth of cedar leads to where you see the dull plain fall sheer off, steep, slanted, ploughed by all the season's rainfalls. On its brink, the overleaning harebells swing, with roots half bare, the pine trees cling. And through the shadow-looking west, you see the wavering river flow along a vale, that far below. Holds to the sun, the sheltering hills and glimmering waterline between, broad fields of corn and meadows green, and fruit-bent orchards grouped around the low brown roofs and painted eaves, and chimney-tops half-hidden leaves. No warmer valley hides behind yon wind-scourged sand dunes, cold and bleak. No fairer river comes to seek. The wave sung welcome of the sea or mark the northmost border line of sun-loved growths of nut and vine. Here, ground fast in their native fields, untempted by the city's gain, the quiet farmer-folk remain, who bear the pleasant name of friends, and keep their father's gentle ways and simple speech of Bible days, in whose need homestead's woman holds with modest ease her equal place, and wears upon her tranquil face. The look of one who, merging not her selfhood in another's will, Is loves and duties handmaid still? Pass with me down the path that winds through birches to the open land where, close upon the river strand, you mark a cellar vine o'erin above whose wall of loosened stones the sumach lifts its rending cones, and the black nightshade's berries shine, and broad unsightly burdocks fold the household ruin century old. Here, in the dim colonial time of sterner lives and gloomier faith, a woman lived. Tradition saith who wrought her neighbor's foul annoy, and witched and plagued the countryside, till at the hangman's hand she died. Sit with me while the westering day falls slantwise down the quiet vale, and, haply ere yon loitering sail, that rounds the upper headland, falls below Deer island's pines, or sees behind it hawkswood's belt of trees. Rise black against the sinking sun, my idol of its days of old, the valley's legend, shall be told. 2. The Husking It was the pleasant harvest time, when cellar bins are closely stowed, and garrets bend beneath their load. And the old swallow-haunted barns, brown-gabled, long, and full of seams to which the rooted sunlight streams, and winds blow freshly in, to shake the red plumes of the roost cocks, and the loose haymows scented locks, are filled with summer's ripened stores, its odorous grass and barley sheaves, from their low scaffolds to their eaves. On Ezek Harden's oaken floor, With many an autumn threshing worn, Lay the heaped ears of unhusked corn. And thither came young men and maids, Beneath the moon that, large and low, Lit that sweet eve of long ago. They took their places, some by chance, And others by a merry voice or sweet smile Guided to their choice. How pleasantly the rising moon, Between the shadow of the moes, Looked on them through the great elm boughs. On sturdy boyhood, sun and browned, on girlhood with its solid curves of healthful strength and painless nerves, and jests went round, and laughs that made the house dog answer with his howl, and kept astir the barnyard fowl, and quaint old songs their fathers sung in Derby Dales and Yorkshire Moors, ere Norman William trod their shores, and tales whose merry license shook the fat sides of the Saxon thane, forgetful of the hovering Dane, rude plays to Celt and Cimbri known. The charms and riddles that beguiled on Oxus banks the young world's child. That primal picture speech wherein have youth and made the story told, so new in each, so dateless old. Recalling pastoral Ruth and her who waited, blushing and demure, the red ear's kiss of forfeiture. But still the sweetest voice was mute that river valley ever heard from lips of maid or throat of bird. For Mabel Martin sat apart, and let the haymow's shadow fall upon the loveliest face of all. She sat apart, as one forbid, who knew that none would condescend to own the witch-wife's child a friend. The seasons scarce had gone their round, since curious thousands thronged to see her mother at the gallows' tree, and mocked the prison-palsied limbs that faltered on the fatal stairs, and wan lip trembling with its prayers. Few questioned of the sorrowing child, or, when they saw the mother die, dreamed of the daughter's agony. They went up to their homes that day, as men and Christians justified God willed it, and the wretch had died. Dear God and Father of us all, forgive our faith in cruel lies, forgive the blindness that denies. Forgive thy creature when he takes, for the all-perfect love thou art, some grim creation of his heart. Cast down our idols, overturn our bloody altars, let us see thyself in thy humanity. Young Mabel from her mother's grave crept to her desolate hearthstone and wrestled with her fate alone. With love and anger and despair the phantoms of disordered sense the awful doubts of providence oh dreary broke the winter days and dreary fell the winter nights when one by one the neighboring lights went out and human sounds grew still and all the phantom people dark closed round her hearth fire's dying spark and summer days were sad and long and sad the uncompanioned eaves and sadder sunset tinted leaves An Indian summer's airs of balm, she scarcely felt the soft caress, the beauty died of loneliness. The schoolboys jeered her as they passed, and, when she sought the house of prayer, her mother's curse pursued her there. And still o'er many a neighboring door she saw the horseshoe's curved charm, to guard against her mother's harm. That mother, poor and sick and lame, who daily, by the old armchair, folded her withered hands in prayer, who turned, in Salem's dreary jail, her worn old Bible o'er and o'er, when her dim eyes could read no more. Sore tried and pained, the poor girl kept her faith, and trusted that her way, so dark, would somewhere meet the day. And still her weary wheel went round day after day, with no relief small leisure have the poor for grief. 4. The Champion So in the shadow Mabel sits, untouched by mirth she sees and hears, her smile is sadder than her tears. But cruel eyes have found her out, and cruel lips repeat her name, and taunt her with her mother's shame. She answered not with railing words, but drew her apron o'er her face, and sobbing, glided from the place. and only pausing at the door, her sad eyes met the troubled gaze of one who, in her better days, had been her warm and steady friend, ere yet her mother's doom had made even Ezek harden half afraid. He felt that mute appeal of tears, and starting with an angry frown, hushed all the wicked murmurs down. "'Good neighbor's mine,' he sternly said. "'This passes harmless mirth or jest. I brook no insult to my guest. She is indeed her mother's child, but God's sweet pity ministers unto no whiter soul than hers. Let Goody Martin rest in peace. I never knew her harm a fly, and which or not God knows, not I. I know who swore her life away, and as God lives— I'd not condemn an Indian dog on word of them. The broadest lands in all the town, the skill to guide, the power to all were hardens, and his word was law. None dared withstand him to his face, but one sly maiden spake aside, the little witch's evil eyed Her mother only killed a cow, or witch to churn or dairy pan, but she, forsooth, must charm a man. V. in the shadow. Per Mabel, homeward turning, past the nameless terrors of the wood, and saw, as if a ghost pursued. Her shadow gliding in the moon, the soft breath of the west wind gave a chill as from her mother's grave. How dreary seemed the silent house! Wide in the moonbeam's ghastly glare its windows had a dead man's stare, and, like a gaunt and spectral hand, the tremulous shadow of a birch reached out and touched the door's low porch, as if to lift its latch, hard by a sudden warning call she beard, the night cry of a boating bird. She leaned against the door, her face, so fair, so young, so full of pain, white in the moonlight's silver rain. The river, on its pebbled rim, made music such as childhood knew, the dooryard tree was whispered through, by voices such as childhood's ear had heard in moonlight's long ago, and through the willow boughs below. She saw the rippled waters shine, beyond, in waves of shade and light, The hills rolled off into the night. She saw and heard, But over all a sense of some transforming spell, The shadow of her sick heart fell. And still across the wooded space The harvest lights of heart shone, And song and jest and laugh went on. And he, so gentle, true, and strong, Of men the bravest and the best, Had he, too, scorned her with the rest? She strove to drown her sense of wrong, And, in her old and simple way, to teach her bitter heart to pray. Poor child! The prayer, begun in faith, grew to a low, despairing cry of utter misery. Let me die! Oh! Take me from the scornful eyes, and hide me where the cruel speech and mocking finger may not reach. I dare not breathe my mother's name, a daughter's right I dare not crave to weep above her unblessed grave. Let me not live until my heart, with few to pity, and with none to love me, hardens into stone. O God, have mercy on thy child, whose faith in thee grows weak and small, and take me ere I lose it all. A shadow on the moonlight fell, and murmuring wind and wave became a voice whose burden was her name. Six, the betrothal. Had then God heard her? Had he sent his angel down? In flesh and blood, before her Ezek Harden stood, he laid his hand upon her arm. Dear Mabel, this no more shall be. Who scoffs that you must scoff at me? You know rough Isaac Hardin well, and if he seems no suitor gay, and if his hair is touched with gray. The maiden grown shall never find his heart less warm than when she smiled upon his knees a little child. Her tears of grief were tears of joy, as, folded in his strong embrace, she looked in Ezek Hardin's face. O oh, truest friend of all, she said, God bless you for your kindly thought, and make me worthy of my lot. He led her forth, and Blent in one, beside their happy pathway ran the shadows of the maid and man. He led her through his dewy fields, to where the swinging lanterns glowed, and through the doors the huskers showed. Good friends and neighbors, Izek said. I'm weary of this lonely life. Mabel, see my chosen wife. She greets you kindly, one and all. The past is past and all offense falls harmless from her innocence. Henceforth she stands no more alone. You know what Ezek Hardin is. He brooks no wrong to him or his. Now let the merriest tales be told, and let the sweetest songs be sung that ever made the old heart young. For now the lost has found a home, and a lone hearth shall brighter burn, as all the household joys return. Oh, pleasantly the harvest moon, between the shadow of the mows, looked on them through the great elm, boughs on Mabel's curls of golden hair, on Ezek's shaggy strength it fell, and the wind whispered, It is well! The prophecy of Samuel Sewell. The prose version of this prophecy is to be found in Sewell's The New Heaven Upon the New Earth, 1697, quoted in Joshua Coffin's History of Newberry. Judge Sewell's father, Henry Sewell, was one of the pioneers of Newberry. Up and down the village streets strange are the forms my fancy meets. For the thoughts and things of today are hid, And through the veil of a closed lid The ancient worthies I see again I hear the tap of the elder's cane, And his awful periwig I see, And the silver buckles of shoe and knee. Stately and slow, with thoughtful air, His black cap hiding his whitened hair, Walks the judge of the greatest size, Samuel Sewell the good and wise. His face with lines of firmness wrought, He wears the look of a man unbought, Who swears to his hurt and changes not yet, touched and softened nevertheless with the grace of Christian gentleness, the face that a child would climb to kiss, true and tender and brave and just, that man might honor and woman trust. Touching and sad, a tale is told, like a penitent hymn of the psalmist old, of the fast which the good man lifelong kept to with a haunting sorrow that never slept, as the circling year brought round the time of an error that left the sting of crime, when he sat on the bench of the witchcraft courts with the laws of Moses and Hale's reports, and spake, in the name of both, the word that gave the witch's neck to the cord, and piled the oaken planks that pressed the feeble life from the warlock's breast. All the day long, from dawn to dawn, his door was bolted, his curtain drawn, no foot on his silent threshold trod, no eye looked on him save that of God, as he baffled the ghosts of the dead with charms of penitent tears, and prayers, and psalms and with precious proofs from the sacred word of the boundless pity and love of the Lord, his faith confirmed and his trust renewed that the sin of his ignorance, sorely rude, might be washed away in the mingled flood of his human sorrow and Christ's. Dear blood, green forever the memory be of the judge of the old theocracy, whom even his errors glorified, like a far seen. Sunlit mountainside by the cloudy shadows which o'er it glide I honour and praise to the Puritan who the halting step of his age outran, and seeing the infinite worth of man in the priceless gift the father gave, in the infinite love that stooped to save, dared not brand his brother a slave. Who doth such wrong? He was wont to say, in his own quaint, picture-loving way, flings up, to heaven a hand-grenade which God shall cast down upon his head, widely as heaven and hell. Contrast that brave old jurist of the past and the cunning trickster and knave of courts who the holy features of truth distorts, ruling as right the will of the strong, poverty, crime, and weakness wrong, wider to power, to the wronged and weak deaf as Egypt's gods of leak, scoffing aside at parties not order of nature and law of God, for of whose dabbled ermine respect were waste, reverence folly, and awe misplaced, justice of whom t were vain to seek as from. Kurdish robber or Syrian sheikh. Oh, leave the wretch to his bribes and sins, let him rot in the web of lies he spins. To the saintly soul of the early day, to the Christian judge, let us turn and say, Praise and thanks for an honest man, glory to God for the Puritan! I see far southward, this quiet day, the hills of Newbury rolling away, with the many tints of the season gay, dreamily blending in autumn mist crimson, and gold, and amethyst. Long and low, with dwarf trees crowned, Plum island lies, like a whale aground, A stone's toss over the narrow sound. Inland, as far as the eye can go, The hills curve round like a bended bough, A silver arrow from out them sprung, I see the shine of the come, And round and round, over valley and hill, Old roads winding, as old roads will, Here to a ferry, and there to a mill and glimpses of chimneys and gabled eaves, through green elm marches and maple leaves, old homesteads sacred to all that can gladden or sadden the heart of man, over whose thresholds of oak and stone life and death have come and gone. Their pictured tiles in the fireplace show, great beams sag from the ceiling low, the dresser glitters with polished wares, the long clock ticks on the foot-worn stairs, and the low, broad chimney shows the crack by the earthquake made a century back. Up from their midst springs the village spire with the crest of its cock and the sun afire, beyond our orchards and planting lands, and great salt marshes and glimmering sands, and where north and south the coastlines run, the blink of the sea and breeze and sun. I see it all like a chart unrolled, but my thoughts are full of the past and old, I hear the tales of my boyhood told, and the shadows and shapes of early days flit dimly by in the veiling haze, with measured movement, and rhythmic chime leaving like shuttles my web of rhyme. I think of the old man wise and good Who once on yon misty hillside stood, A poet who never measured rhyme, A seer unknown to his dullard time, And propped on his staff of age, Looked down, with his boyhood's love, On his native town, where, written, As if on its hills and plains, His burden of prophecy yet remains, For the voices of wood, and wave, And wind to read in the ear of the musing mind, As long as Plum Island, to guard the coast as God appointed, shall keep its posts. As long as a salmon shall haunt the deep of Merrimack River, or Sturgeon Leap. As long as pickerel swift and slim, or red-backed perch, in crane pond swim. As long as the annual seafowl know their time to come and their time to go. As long as cattle shall roam at will the green, grass meadows by Turkey Hill. As long as sheep shall look from the side of Old Town Hill on Marishes Wide, and Parker river, and salt sea. Tide, as long as a wandering pigeon shall search the fields below from his white oak perch, when the barley harvest is ripe and shorn, and the dry husks fall from the standing corn, as long as nature shall not grow old, nor drop her work from her doting hold, and her care for the Indian corn forget, and the yellow rose and pears to set, so long shall Christians here be born, grow up and ripen as God's sweet corn, by the beak of bird. By the breath of frost shall never a holy ear be lost, but, husked by death in the planter's sight, be sown again in the fields of light. The island still is purple with plums, up the river the salmon comes, the sturgeon leaps, and the wild fowl feeds on hillside berries and marish seeds. All the beautiful signs remain, from springtime sowing to autumn rain the good man's vision returns again. And let us hope, as well we can— THAT THE SILENT ANGEL WHO GARNERS MAN MAY FIND SOME GRAIN AS OF OLD lie FOUND IN THE HUMAN CORNFIELD RIPE AND SOUND, AND THE LORD OF THE HARVEST deign TO OWN THE PRECIOUS SEED BY THE father's SOWN. 1859. THE RED RIPER VOYAGEUR. OUT AND IN THE RIVER IS WINDING THE LINKS OF ITS LONG, RED CHAIN, THROUGH BELTS OF DUSKY PINELAND AND GUSTY LEAGUES OF plain. ONLY, AT TIMES, A SMOKE WREATH WITH THE DRIFTING CLOUD RACK JOINS. The smoke of the hunting lodges of the wild Assiniboines. Drearily blows the north wind from the land of ice and snow. The eyes that look are weary, and heavy the hands that row. And with one foot on the water, and one upon the shore, the angel of shadow gives warning that day shall be no more. Is it the clang of wild geese? Is it the Indian's yell that lends to the voice of the north wind the tones of a far off bell? The voyageur smiles as he listens to the sound that grows apace. Well, he knows the vesper ringing of the bells of S.T. Boniface, the bells of the Roman mission, that call from their turrets twain, to the boatmen on the river, to the hunter on the plain. Even so in our mortal journey the bitter north winds blow, and thus upon life's red river our hearts, as oarsmen, row. And when the angel of shadow rests his feet on wave and shore, and our eyes grow dim with watching and our hearts faint at the oar, Happy is he who heareth the signal of his release in the bells of the holy city, the chimes of eternal peace. 1859. The Preacher. George Whitefield, the celebrated preacher, died at Newburyport in 1770, and was buried under the church which has since borne his name. Its windows flashing to the sky, beneath a thousand roofs of brown, far down the vale, my friend and I beheld the old and quiet town. THE GHOSTLY SAILS THAT OUT AT SEA FLAP THEIR WHITE WINGS OF MYSTERY, THE BEACHES GLIMMERING IN THE SUN, AND THE LOW WOODED CAPES THAT RUN INTO THE SEA MIST NORTH AND SOUTH, THE SAND BLUFFS AT THE RIVER'S MOUTH, THE SWINGING chain bridge, AND AFAR, THE FOAM LINE OF THE HARBOR BAR. OVER THE WOODS AND MEADOWLANDS A CRIMSON-TINTED SHADOW LAY, OF CLOUDS THROUGH WHICH THE SETTING DAY FLUNG A SLANT GLORY FAR AWAY. It glittered on the wet sea sands, it flamed upon the city's panes, smote the white sails of ships that wore outward o'er in, and glided o'er the steeples with their veering vanes. Awhile, my friend, with rapid search o'er in the landscape. Yonder spire over grey roofs, a shaft of fire, what is it, pray? The Whitefield Church. Walled about by its basement stones, there rest the marvelous prophet's bones. Then, as our homeward way we walked, of the great preacher's life we talked, and through the mystery of our theme the outward glory seemed to stream, and nature self-interpreted the doubtful record of the dead, and every level beam that smote the sails upon the dark afloat a symbol of the light became, which touched the shadows of our blame, with tongues of Pentecostal flame. Over the roofs of the pioneers gathers the moss of a hundred years, on man and his works has passed the change which needs must be in a century's range. The land lies open and warm in the sun, Endel's clamor and mill wheels run, Flocks on the hillsides, Herds on the plain, The wilderness gladdened with fruit and grain. But the living faith of the settlers Old the dead profession their children hold, To the lust of office and greed of trade As stepping stone is the altar made. The church, to place and power the door, Rebukes the sin of the world no more, Nor sees its lord in the homeless poor. Everywhere is the grasping hand, an eager adding of land to land, an earth which seemed to the fathers meant but as a pilgrim's wayside tent, a nightly shelter to fold away when the lord should call at the break of day, solid and steadfast seems to be, and time has forgotten eternity. But fresh and green from the rotting roots of primal forests the young growth shoots, from the death of the old the new proceeds, and the life of truth from the rot of creeds on the ladder of god, which upward leads, the steps of progress are human needs. For his judgments still are a mighty deep, And the eyes of his providence never sleep When the night is darkest he gives the morn, When the famine is sorest, the wine and corn. In the church of the wilderness Edwards wrought, Shaping his creed at the forge of thought, And with Thor's own hammer welded And bent the iron links of his argument, Which strove to grasp in its mighty spend The purpose of God and the fate of man Yet faithful still, in his daily round to the weak, And the poor, and it found, the schoolman's lore and the casuists' art drew warmth and life from his fervent heart. Had he not seen in the solitudes of his deep and dark Northampton woods a vision of love about him fall? Not the blinding splendor which fell on Saul, but the tender glory that rests on them who walk in the new Jerusalem, where never the sun nor moon are known, but the Lord and his love are the light alone and watching the sweet, still countenance of the wife of his bosom wrapped in trance. Had he not treasured each broken word of the mystical wonder seen and heard? And loved the beautiful dreamer more that thus to the desert of earth she bore clusters of eshkal from Canaan's shore? As the barley winner, holding with pain aloft and waiting his chaff and grain, joyfully welcomes the far-off breeze sounding the pine-tree's slender keys, so he who had waited long to hear the sound of the spirit drawing near, like that which the son of Ido heard when the feet of angels the myrtle stirred, felt the answer of prayer, at last. As over his church the afflatus passed, breaking its sleep as breezes break to sunbright ripples a stagnant lake. At first, a tremor of silent fear, the creep of the flesh at danger near, a vague foreboding and discontent, over the hearts of the people went. All nature warned in sounds and signs, the wind in the tops of the forest pines in the name of the highest called to prayer, as the muezzin calls from the minaret stair. Through sealed chambers of secrets, since sudden and strong the light shone in. A guilty sense of his neighbor's needs startled the man of title deeds. The trembling hand of the worldling shook the dust of years from the holy book, and the Psalms of David, forgotten long, took the place of the scoffer's song. The impulse spread like the outward course of waters moved by a central force. The tide of spiritual life rolled down from inland mountains to seaboard town. Prepared and ready the altar stands waiting the prophet's outstretched hands in prayer availing to downward call the fiery answer in view of all. Hearts are like wax in the furnace, who shall mold, and shape, and cast them anew. Lo, by the Merrimack whitefield stands in the temple that never was made by hands, curtains of azure, and crystal wall, and dome of the sunshine over all, a homeless pilgrim, with dubious name blown about on the winds of fame, now as an angel of blessing classed, and now as a mad enthusiast, called in his youth to sound and gauge the moral lapse of his race and age and sharp as truth, the contrast draw of human frailty and perfect law. Possessed by the one dread thought that lent its goad to his fiery temperament, up and down the world he went, a John the Baptist crying, repent. No perfect hole can our nature make, here or there the circle will break. The orb of life as it takes the light on one side leaves the other in night. Never was saint so good and great as to give no chance at S.T. Peter's gate for the plea of the devil's advocate. So. Incomplete by his being's law, the marvellous preacher had his flaw, with step unequal, and lame with faults, his shade on the path of history halts. Wisely and well said the eastern bard fear is easy, but love is hard, easy to glow with the santan's rage, and walk on the Meccan pilgrimage, but he is greatest and best who can worship Allah by loving man. Thus he, to whom, in the painful stress of zeal on fire from its own excess, Heaven seemed so vast and earth so small that man was nothing, since God was all, forgot, as the best at times have done, that the love of the Lord and of man are one. Little to him whose feet unshod the thorny path of the desert trod, careless of pain, so it led to God, seemed the hunger pang and the poor man's wrong, the weak ones trodden beneath the strong. Should the worm be chooser, the clay withstand the shaping will of the potter's hand? In the Indian fable Arjuna hears the scorn of a god rebuke his fears. Spare thy pity, Krishna saith. Not in thy sword is the power of death. All is illusion, lost but seems. Pleasure and pain are only dreams. Who deems he slayeth doth not kill. Who counts as slain is living still. Strike, nor fear thy blow is crime. Nothing dies but the cheats of time. Slain or slayer, small the odds to each. Immortal as Indra's gods. So by Savannah's banks of shade, the stones of his mission the preacher laid on the heart of the negro crushed and rent, and made of his blood the wall's cement, bade the slave ship speed from coast to coast, fanned by the wings of the Holy Ghost, and begged, for the love of Christ, the gold coined from the hearts in its groaning hold. What could it matter, more or less of stripes, and hunger, and weariness? Living or dying, bond or free, what was time to eternity? Alas for the preacher's cherished schemes! Mission and church are now but dreams. Nor prayer nor fasting availed the plan to honor God through the wrong of man. Of all his labors, no trace remains save the bondman lifting his hands in chains. The woof he wove in the righteous warp of freedom loving Oglethorpe clothes with curses the goodly land, changes its greenness and bloom to sand, and a century's lapse reveals once more the slave ship stealing to Georgia's shore. Father of light, How blind is he who sprinkles the altar he rears to thee with the blood and tears of humanity! He erred, Shall we count his gifts as naught? Was the work of God in him unwrought? The servant may through his deafness err, and blind may be God's messenger. But the errand is sure they go upon, the word is spoken, the deed is done. Was the Hebrew temple less fair and good that Solomon bowed to gods of wood? For his tempted heart and wandering feet— were the songs of David less pure and sweet? So in light and shadow the preacher went, God's airing and human instrument, and the hearts of the people where he passed swayed as the reeds sway in the blast, under the spell of a voice which took in its compass the flow of Siloa's brook, and the mystical chime of the bells of gold on the ephod's hem of the priest of old, now the roll of thunder, and now the awe of the trumpet heard in the mount of law. A solemn fear on the listening crowd fell like the shadow of a cloud. The sailor reeling from out the ships whose masts stood thick in the river slips felt the jest and the curse die on his lips. Listen, the fisherman rude and hard, the cocker rough from the builder's yard. The man of the market left his load, the teamster leaned on his bending goad, the maiden, and youth beside her, felt their hearts in a closer union melt, and saw the flowers of their love and bloom down the endless vistas of life to come. Old age sat feebly brushing away from his ears the scanty locks of gray, And careless boyhood, living the free, unconscious life of bird and tree, suddenly wakened to a sense of sin and its guilty consequence. It was as if an angel's voice called the listeners up for their final choice, as if a strong hand rent apart the veils of sense from soul and heart, showing in light ineffable the joys of heaven and woes of hell all about in the misty air the hills seemed kneeling in silent prayer. The rustle of leaves, the moaning sedge, the waters lap on its graveled edge, the wailing pines, and far and faint, the wood dove's note of sad complaint, to the solemn voice of the preacher lent an undertone as, of low lament, and the note of the sea from its sand coast, on the easterly wind, now heard, now lost, seemed the murmurous sound of the judgment host. Yet wise men doubted, and good men wept, as that storm of passion above them swept, and comet-like, adding flame to flame, the priests of the new evangel came, Davenport, Flashing upon the crowd, charged like summer's electric cloud, now holding the listener still as death with terrible warnings under breath, now shouting for joy, as if he viewed the vision of heaven's beatitude. And Celtic tenant, his long coat bound like a monk's with leathern girdle round, wild with the toss of unshorn hair, and wringing of hands, and eyes a glare, groaning under the world's despair. Grave pastors, grieving their flocks to lose prophesied to the empty pews that gourds would wither, and mushrooms die, and noisiest fountains run soonest dry, like the spring that gushed in Newberry Street, under the tramp of the earthquake's feet, a silver shaft in the air and light, for a single day, then lost in night, leaving only, its place to tell, sandy fissure and sulfurous smell, with zeal wing clipped and white heat cool, moved by the spirit and grooves of rule, no longer harried, and cropped, and fleeced, flogged by sheriff and cursed by priest, but by wiser counsels left at ease to settle quietly on his lees, and self-concentred, to count as done the work which his father's well begun, in silent protest of letting alone, the Quaker kept the way of his own, a non-conductor among the wires, with coat of asbestos proof to fires, and quite unable to mend his pace to catch the falling manna of grace, he hugged the closer his little store of faith, and silently prayed for more. And vague of creed and barren of right, but holding, as in his master's sight, act and thought to the inner light, the round of his simple duties walked, and strove to live what the others talked. And who shall marvel if evil went step by step with the good intent, and with love and meekness, side by side, lust of the flesh and spiritual pride, that passionate longings and fancies vain set the heart on fire and crazed the brain, that over the holy oracle's folly sported with cap and bells, That goodly women and learned men marveling told with tongue and pen how unweaned children chirp like birds texts of scripture and solemn words, like the infant seers of the rocky glens in the Puy de Dome of wild savannes or baby lamas who pray and preach from tartar cradles and Buddha's speech, in the war which truth or freedom wages with impious fraud and the wrong of ages, hate and malice and self-love mar the notes of triumph with painful jar, and the helping angels turn aside their sorrowing faces the shame to bide. Never on customs oiled grooves the world to a higher level moves, but grates and grinds with friction hard on granite boulder and flinty shard. The heart must bleed before it feels, the pool be troubled before it heals. Ever by losses the right must gain, every good have its birth of pain. The active virtues blush to find the vices wearing their badge behind, and graces and charities feel the fire wherein the sins of the age expire. The fiend still rends as of old he rent the tortured body from which be went but time tests all. In the overdrift and flow of the Nile, with its annual gift, who cares for the haji's relics sunk? Who thinks of the drowned-out Coptic monk? The tide that loosens the temple's stones and scatters the sacred ibis bones drives away from the valley land that Arab robber, the wandering sand, moistens the fields that know no rain, fringes the desert with belts of grain, and bread to the sower brings again. So the flood of emotion deep and strong troubled the land as it swept along, but left a result of holier lives, tenderer mothers and worthier wives. The husband and father whose children fled and sad wife wept when his drunken tread frightened peace from his roof-tree's shade, and a rock of offense his hearthstone made, in a strength that was not his own began to rise from the brutes to the plain of man. Old friends embraced, long held apart by evil counsel and pride of heart, and penitence saw through misty tears, in the bow of hope on its cloud of fears, the promise of heaven's eternal years, the peace of God for the world's annoy, beauty for ashes, and oil of joy under the church of Federal Street, under the tread of its Sabbath feet, walled about by its basement stones, lie the marvelous preacher's bones. No saintly honors to them are shown, no sign nor miracle have they known, but be who passes the ancient church stops in the shade of its belfry porch and ponders the wonderful life of him who lies at rest in that charnel dim. Long shall the traveller strain his eye from the railroad car, as it plunges by, and the vanishing town behind him search for the slender spire of the whitefield church, and feel for one moment the ghosts of trade, and fashion, and folly, and pleasure laid, by the thought of that life of pure intent, that voice of warning yet eloquent, of one on the errands of angels sent and if where he labored the flood of sin like a tide from the harbour bar sets in, and over a life of tune and sense the church spires lift their vain defence, as if to scatter the bolts of God with the points of Calvin's thunder rod, still, as the gem of its civic crown, precious beyond the world's renown, his memory hallows the ancient town. 1859. The Truce of Piscataqua. In the winter of 1675-76, the eastern Indians, Who had been making war upon the New Hampshire settlements were so reduced in numbers by fighting and famine that they agreed to a peace with Major Waldron at Dover, but the peace was broken in the fall of 1676. The famous chief, Squando, was the principal negotiator on the part of the savages. He had taken up the hatchet to revenge the brutal treatment of his child by drunken white sailors, which caused its death. It not unfrequently happened during the border wars that young white children were adopted by their Indian captors, and so kindly treated that they were unwilling to leave the free, wild life of the woods, and in some instances they utterly refused to go back with their parents to their old homes and civilization. Raise these long blocks of brick and stone, these huge mill monsters overgrown. Blot out the humbler piles as well, where, move like living shuttles, dwell the weaving genii of the bell tear from the wild cachecos track the dams that hold its torrents back, and let the loud rejoicing fall plunge, roaring, down its rocky wall, and let the Indians paddle play on the unbridged Piscataqua. Wide over hill and valley spread once more the forest, dust and dread, with here and there a clearing cut from the walled shadows round it shut, each with its farmhouse builded rude, by English yeomen squared and hewed, and the grim, flankered blockhouse bound with bristling palisades around. So, haply shall before thine eyes the dusty veil of centuries rise, the old, strange scenery overlaid the tamer pictures of today, while, like the actors in a play, pass in their ancient guise along the figures of my border-song what time beside Kacheco's flood the white man and the red man stood, with words of peace and brotherhood, when past the sacred calumet from lip to lip with fire-draft wet, and puffed in scorn, the peace pipe smoke through the grey beard of Waldron broke, and, Squando's voice, in suppliant plea for mercy, struck the haughty key of one who held, in any fate, his native pride inviolate. Let your ears be opened wide. He who speaks has never lied. Waldron of Piscataqua, hear what Squando has to say. Squando shuts his eyes and sees, far off, Sacco's hemlock trees. In his wigwam, still as stone, sits a woman all alone, Wampum beads and birchen and strands Dropping from her careless hands Listening ever for the fleet patter Of a dead child's feet When the moon a year ago Told the flowers the time to blow And that lonely wigwam smiled Menui Our little child Ere that moon grew thin and old He was lying still and cold Sent before us, weak and small When the master did not call On his little grave I lay Three times went and came the day Thrice above me blazed the noon Thrice upon me wept the moon. In the third night watch I heard, far and low, a spirit bird, very mournful, very wild, sang the totem of my child. Menui, poor Menui, walks a path he cannot see, let the white man's wigwam light with its blaze his steps aright. All uncalled, he dares not show empty hands to Manito better gifts he cannot bear than the scalps his slayers wear. All the while the totem sang, lightning blazed and thunder rang, and a black cloud, Reaching high, pulled the white moon from the sky. I, the medicine man, whose ear all that spirits bear can hear. I, whose eyes are wide to see all the things that are to be. Well, I knew the dreadful signs in the whispers of the pines, in the river roaring loud, in the mutter of the cloud. At the breaking of the day, from the grave I passed away. Flowers bloomed round me. Birds sang glad, but my heart was hot and mad. There is rust on Squando's knife. From the warm, red springs of life, On the funeral hemlock trees many a scalp the totem sees. Blood for blood. But evermore Squando's heart is sad and sore, And his poor squaw waits at home for the feet that never come. Waldron of Cacheco, here! Squando speaks, who laughs at fear, Take the captives he has tain, Let the land have peace again. As the words died on his tongue, Wide apart his warriors swung, parted, At the sign he gave, right and left, like Egypt's wave. And, like Israel passing free through the prophet-charmed sea, Captive mother, wife, and child through the dusky terror filed. One alone, a little maid, middleway her steps delayed, Glancing, with quick, troubled sight, round about from red to white. Then his hand the Indian laid on the little maiden's head, Lightly from her forehead fair, smoothing back her yellow hair. Gift or favor ask I none. What I have is all my own, never yet the birds have sung. Squando hath a beggar's tongue. Yet for her who waits at home, for the dead who cannot come, let the little gold hair be in the place of Menui. Miss Hannock, my little star, come to Sacco's pines afar, where the sad one waits at home. him, my moonlight, come. What? quoth Waldron. Leave a child Christian born to heathens wild? As God lives, from Satan's hand I will pluck her as a brand. Hear me, white man, Squando cried. Let the little one decide. We quash him my moonlight, say, Wilt thou go with me, or stay? Slowly, sadly, half afraid, half regretfully, the maid owned the ties of blood and race, turned from Squando's pleading face. Not a word the Indian spoke, but his wampum chain he broke, and the beaded wonder hung on that neck so fair and young. Silence shod, as phantoms seem in the marches of a dream, single-filed, the grim array through the pine trees wound away. Doubting, trembling, sore amazed, through her tears the young child gazed. God preserve her, Waldron said. Satan hath bewitched a maid. Years went and came. At close of day singing came a child from play, tossing from her loose locked head gold in sunshine, brown in shade. Pride was in the mother's look but her head she gravely shook, and with lips that fondly smiled feigned to chide her truant child. Unabashed, the maid began. Up and down the brook I ran, where, beneath the bank so steep, lie the spotted trout asleep. Chip went squirrel on the wall, after me I heard him call, and the catbird on the tree tried his best to mimic me. Where the hemlocks grew so dark that I stopped to look and hark, on a log, with feather hat, by the path an Indian sat. Then I cried, and ran away, but he called, and bade me stay, and his voice was good and mild as my mother's to her child. And he took my wampum chain, looked and looked it o'er again, gave me berries, and beside, on my neck a plaything tied. Straight the mother stooped to see what the Indian's gift might be. On the braid of wampum hung, lo! a cross of silver swung. Well she knew its graven sign, Squando's bird and totem pine. And a mirage of the brain flowed her childhood back again. Flashed the roof, the sunshine through, into space the walls outgrew. On the Indian's wigwam mat, blossom crowned, again she sat. Cool she felt the west wind blow, in her ear the pines sang low, and like links from out a chain dropped the years of care and pain. From the outward toil and din, from the griefs that gnaw within, to the freedom of the woods called the birds, and winds, and floods. Well, O painful minister! Watch thy flock, but blame not her, If her ear grew sharp to hear All their voices whispering near. Blame her not, as to her soul All the desert's glamour stole, That a tear for childhood's loss Dropped upon the Indian's cross. When, that night, the book was read, And she bowed her widowed head, And a prayer for each loved name Rose like incense from a flame. With a hope the creeds forbid in her pitying bosom hid, To the listening ear of heaven low, the Indian's name was given. 1860. My Playmate. The pines were dark on Rammoth Hill, their song was soft and low, the blossoms in the sweet May wind were falling like the snow. The blossoms drifted at our feet, the orchard birds sang clear, the sweetest and the saddest day it seemed of all the year. For, more to me than birds or flowers, my Playmate left her home, and took with her the laughing spring, the music and the bloom. She kissed the lips of kith and kin, she laid her hand in mine what more could ask the bashful boy who fed her father's kine. She left us in the bloom of may the constant years told o'er their seasons with as sweet may morns. but she came back no more. I walk, with noiseless feet, the round of uneventful years, still o'er and o'er I sow the spring and reap the autumn airs. She lives where all the golden year her summer roses blow, the dusky children of the sun before her come and go. There happily with her jeweled hand she smooths her silken gown, no more the homespun lap wherein I shook the walnuts down. The wild grapes wait us by the brook, the brown nuts on the hill, and still the mayday flowers make sweet the woods of Folly The lilies blossom in the pond, the bird builds in the tree, the dark pines sing on Ramoth hill the slow song of the sea. I wonder if she thinks of them, and how the old time seems, if ever the pines of Ramoth would are sounding in her dreams. I see her face, I hear her voice, does she remember mine? And what to her is now the boy who fed her father's kine? What cares she that the orioles build for other eyes than ours, That other hands with nuts are filled, and other laps with flowers? O playmate in the golden time! Our mossy seed is green, its fringing violets blossom yet, The old trees o'er it lean, the winds so sweet with birch and fern a sweeter memory blow. And there in spring the very sing the song of long ago. And still the pines of Ramothwood are moaning like the sea. The moaning of the sea of change between myself and thee. 1860. Cobbler-Keyser's Vision. This ballad was written on the occasion of a horticultural festival. Cobbler-Keyser was a noted character among the first settlers in the valley of the Merrimack. The beaver cut his timber with patient teeth that day. The minks were fish wards. And the crows surveyors of highway. When Kieser sat on the hillside upon his cobbler's form, with a pan of coals on either hand to keep his wax ends warm, and there, in the golden weather, he stitched and hammered and sung. In the brook he moistened his leather, in the pewter mug his tongue. Well knew the tough old Teuton who brewed the stoutest ale, and he paid the good wife's reckoning in the coin of song and tale. The songs they still are singing who dress the hills of vine, the tales that haunt the Brocken and whisper down the Rhine. Woodsy and wild and lonesome, the swift stream wound away, through birches and scarlet maples flashing in foam and spray, down on the sharp-horned ledges plunging in steep cascade, tossing its white-maned waters against the hemlock's shade. Woodsy and wild and lonesome, east and west and north and south, only the village of fishers down at the river's mouth. Only here and there a clearing, with its farmhouse rude and new, and tree-stumps, sward as Indians, where the scanty harvest grew. No shout of homebound reapers, no vintage song he heard, and on the green no dancing feet the merry violin stirred. Why should folk be glum? said Kiser, when nature herself is glad, and the painted woods are laughing at the faces so sour and sad? Small he'd had the careless cobbler what sorrow of heart was theirs who travailed in pain with the births of God and planted a state with prayers. Hunting of witches and warlocks, smiting the heathen horde, one hand on the mason's trowel, and one on the soldier's sword. But give him his ale and cider, give him his pipe and song, little he cared for church or state, or the balance of right and wrong. Tea is work, 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 he muttered, and for rest a snuffle of psalms. He smote on his leathern apron with his brown and waxen palms. Oh, for the purple harvest of the days when I was young for the merry grape-stained maidens, and the pleasant songs they sung. Oh, for the breath of vineyards, of apples and nuts and wine for an oar to row and a breeze to blow down the grand old river Rhine. A tear in his blue eye glistened and dropped on his beard so gray. Old, old am I, said Kieser, and the Rhine flows far away. But a cunning man was the cobbler. He could call the birds from the trees, charm the black snake out of the ledges, and bring back the swarming bees. All the virtues of herbs and metals, all the lore of the woods he knew, and the arts of the old world mingle with the marvels of the new. Well, he knew the tricks of magic, and the lapstone on his knee had the gift of the Mormon's goggles or the stone of Dr. D. 11. For the mighty master Agrippa wrought it with spell and rhyme from a fragment of mystic moonstone in the tower of Nettishim. To a cobbler-minzing of the marvellous stone gave he, and he gave it, in turn, to Kesar, who brought it over the sea. He held up that mystic lapstone. He held it up like a lens, and he counted the long years coming EY-twenties and by tens. One hundred years, quoth Kieser, and fifty have I told now open the new before me, and shut me out the old. Like a cloud of mist, the blackness rolled from the magic stone, and a marvellous picture mingled the unknown and the known. Still ran the stream to the river, and river and ocean joined, and there were the bluffs and the blue sea-line, and cold north hills behind. But the mighty forest was broken by many a steeple town, by many a white-walled farmhouse, and many a garner-brown. Turning a score of mill wheels, the stream no more ran free. White sails on the winding river, white sails on the far-off sea. Below in the noisy village the flags were floating gay, and shone on a thousand faces the light of a holiday. Swiftly the rival pluffmen turned the brown earth from their shares. Here were the farmers' treasures, there were the craftsmen's wares. Golden the goodwife's butter, ruby her currant wine, Grand were the strutting turkeys, Fat were the beeves and swine. Yellow and red were the apples, And the ripe pear's russet brown, And the peaches had stolen blushes From the girls who shook them down. And with blooms of hill and wildwood That shamed the toil of art, Mingled the gorgeous blossoms Of the garden's tropic heart. What is it I see? said Kieser. Am I here, or am I there? Is it a fate at Bingen? Do I look on Frankfurt fair? But where are the clowns and puppets, And imps with horns and tail? And where are the rhenish flagons? And where is the foaming ale? Strange things, I know, will happen, Strange things the Lord permits, But that droughty folk should be jolly puzzles my poor old wits. Here are smiling manly faces, And the maiden's step is gay, Nor sad by thinking, nor mad by drinking, Nor mopes, nor fools, are they. Here's pleasure without regretting, and good without abuse, the holiday and the bridal of beauty and abuse. Here's a priest and there is a Quaker. Do the cat and dog agree? Have they burned the stocks for Overwood? Have they cut down the gallows tree? Would the old folk know their children? Would they own the graceless town, with never a ranter to worry and never a witch to drown? Loud laughed the cobbler-keezer, laughed like a schoolboy gay. Tossing his arms above him, the lapstone rolled away. It rolled down the rugged hillside, it spun like a wheel bewitched, it plunged through the leaning willows, and into the river pitched. There, in the deep, dark water, the magic stone lies still, under the leaning willows in the shadow of the hill. But off the idle fisher sits on the shadowy bank, and his dreams make marvelous pictures where the wizard's lapstone sank. And still, in the summer twilights, when the river seems to run out from the inner glory, warm with the melted sun, The weary mill girl lingers beside the charmed stream, And the sky and the golden waters shape and color her dream. Ere wave the sunset gardens, the rosy signals fly, Her homestead beckons from the cloud, And love goes sailing by. 1861. Amy Wentworth to William Bradford As they who watch by sickbeds find relief unwittingly From the great stress of grief and anxious care, In fantasies outwrought from the hearth's embers flickering low, Or caught from whispering wind or tread of passing feet, or vagrant memory calling up some sweet snatch of old song or romance, whence or why they scarcely know or ask, so, thou and I, nursed in the faith that truth alone is strong in the endurance which outwearies wrong, with meek persistence baffling brutal force, and trusting God against the universe, we, doomed to watch a strife we may not share with other weapons than the patriot's prayer, yet owning, with full hearts and moistened eyes, the awful beauty of self sacrifice, and wrung by keenest sympathy for all who give their loved ones for the living wall twixt law and treason, in this evil day may haply find, through automatic play of pen and pencil, solace to our pain, and hearten others with the strength we gain. I know it has been said our times require no play of art, nor dalliance with the lyre, no weak essay with fancy's chloroform to calm the hot, mad pulses of the storm, but the stern war blasts rather such as sets the battle's teeth of serried bayonets, and pictures grim as Vernet's. Yet with these some softer tints may blend, and milder keys relieve the storm-stunned ear. Let us keep sweet, if so we may, our hearts, even while we eat the bitter harvest of our own device and half a century's moral cowardice. As Nurnberg sang while Wittenberg defied, and Cranach painted by his Luther's side, and through the warm arch of the Puritan the silver stream of Marvel's music ran. So let the household melodies be sung, The pleasant pictures on the wall be hung, So let us hold against the hosts of night, And slavery all our vantage-ground of light. Let treason boast its savagery, And shake from its flagfolds its symbol rattlesnake, Nurse its fine arts, lay human skins in tan, And carve its pipe-bowls from the bones of man, And make the tale of Fijian banquets dull By drinking whiskey from a loyal skull. But let us guard, till this sad war shall cease, God grant it soon, the graceful arts of peace no foes are conquered who the victors teach their vandal manners and barbaric speech. And while, with hearts of thankfulness, we bear of the great common burden our full share, let none upbraid us that the waves entice thy sea dipped pencil, or some quaint device, rhythmic, and sweet, beguiles my pen away from the sharp strifes and sorrows of to-day. Thus, while the east-wind keen from Labrador sings at the leafless elms, and from the shore of the great sea comes the monotonous roar of the long-breaking surf, and all the sky is gray with cloud, homebound and dull, I try to time a simple legend to the sounds of winds in the woods, and waves on pebbled bounds, a song for oars to chime with, such as might be sung by tired sea-painters, who at night look from their hemlock camps, by quiet cove or beach, moonlighted on the waves they love. So hast thou looked, when level sunset lay on the calm bosom of some eastern bay, and all the spray-moist rocks and waves that rolled up the white sand slopes flashed with ruddy gold. Something it has, a flavor of the sea, and the sea's freedom, which reminds of thee. Its faded picture, dimly smiling down from the blurred fresco of the ancient town, I have not touched with warmer tints in vain, if, in this dark, sad year, it steals one thought from pain. Her fingers shame the ivory keys they danced so light along. The bloom upon her parted lips is sweeter than the song. O perfumed suitor, spare thy smiles. Her thoughts are not of thee. She better loves the salted wind, the voices of the sea. Her heart is like an outbound ship that at its anchor swings. The murmur of the stranded shell is in the song she sings. She sings, and smiling, hears her praise, but dreams the while of one who watches from his sea-blown deck the icebergs in the sun. She questions all the winds that blow and every fog-wreath dim, and bids the sea-birds flying north bear messages to him. She speeds them with the thanks of men he periled life to save, and grateful prayers like holy oil to smooth for him the wave. Brown viking of the fishing smack, fair toast of all the town, the skipper's jerkin ill-beseems the lady's silken gown. But ne'er shall Amy Wentworth wear for him the blush of shame who dares to set his manly gifts against her ancient name. The stream is brightest at its spring, and blood is not like wine, nor honored less than he who errs is he who founds a line. Full lightly shall the prize be won if love be fortune's spur, and never maiden stoops to him who lifts himself to her. Her home is brave in Jaffrey Street, with stately stairways worn by feet of old colonial knights and ladies gentleborn. Still green about its ample porch, the English ivy twines, trained back to show in English oak the herald's carven signs. And on her, from the wainscot old, ancestral faces frown, And this has worn the soldier's sword, and that the judge's gown. But strong of will and proud as they, She walks the gallery floor as if she trod her sailor's deck by stormy Labrador. The sweet briar blooms on Kittery side, and green are Elliot's bowers. Her garden is the pebbled beach; the mosses are her flowers. She looks across the harbor bar to see the white gulls fly. His greeting from the northern sea is in their clanging cry. She hums a song, and dreams that he, as in its romance old, Shall homeward ride with silken sails and masts of beaten gold. Oh, rank is good, and gold is fair, and high and low mate ill, But love has never known a law beyond its own sweet will. 1862. The Countess. T. W. I inscribed this poem to Dr. Elias Weld of Haverhill, Massachusetts to whose kindness I was much indebted in my boyhood. He was the one cultivated man in the neighborhood. His small but well-chosen library was placed at my disposal. He is the wise old doctor of Snowbound. Count Francois de Vipart with his cousin Joseph Rochemont de Poin came to the United States in the early part of the present century. They took up their residence at Rock's Village on the Merrimack, where they both married. The wife of Count Vipart was Mary Ingalls, who as my father remembered her was a very lovely young girl. Her wedding dress, as described by a lady still living, was pink satin with an overdress of white lace and white satin slippers. She died in less than a year after her marriage. Her husband returned to his native country. He lies buried in the family tomb of the Viparts at Bordeaux. I know not time and space so intervene. Whether, still waiting with a trust serene, Thou bearest up thy fourscore years and ten, Or, called at last, art now heaven's citizen. But here or there, a pleasant thought of thee, Like an old friend, all day has been with me. The shy, still boy, for whom thy kindly hand Smoothed his hard pathway to the wonderland of thought and fancy, In grey manhood yet keeps green the memory of his early debt. Today When truth and falsehood speak their words through hot-lipped cannon and the teeth of swords, listening with quickened heart and ear intent to each sharp clause of that stern argument, I still can hear at times a softer note of the old pastoral music round me float, while through the hot gleam of our civil strife looms the green mirage of a simpler life. As, at his alien post, the sentinel drops the old bucket in the homestead well, and hears old voices in the winds that toss above his head the live-oak's beard of moss, so, in our trial time, and under skies shadowed by swords like Islam's paradise, I wait and watch, and let my fancy stray to milder scenes in youth's Arcadian day, and how the pencil-dipped in dreams shades the brown woods or tints the sunset streams. The country doctor in the foreground seems, whose ancient sulky down, the village lanes dragged, like a war-car, captive ills and pains. I could not paint the scenery of my song, mindless of one who looked thereon so long, who night and day, on duty's lonely round, made friends o'er oh, the woods and rocks, and knew the sound of each small brook, and what the hillside trees said to the winds that touched their leafy keys, who saw so keenly and so well could paint the village folk, with all their humors quaint, the parson ambling on his wall roan. grave and erect, with white hair backward blown, the tough old boatman, half amphibious grown. The muttering witch wife of the gossip's tale, and the loud straggler levying his blackmail, old customs, habits, superstitions, fears, all that lies buried under fifty years. To thee, as is most fit, I bring my lay, and grateful, own the debt I cannot pay. Over the wooded northern ridge, between its houses brown, to the dark tunnel of the bridge the street comes straggling down. You catch a glimpse, through birch and pine, of gable, roof, and porch the tavern with its swinging sign, the sharp horn of the church. The river's steel-blue crescent curves to meet, in ebb and flow, the single broken wharf that serves for sloop and gundelow. With salt sea scents along its shores the heavy hayboats crawl, the long antennae of their oars and lazy rise and fall. Along the gray abutment's wall the idle shadnet dries. The toll man in his cobbler's stall sits smoking with closed eyes. You hear the pier's low undertone of waves that chafe and gnaw, you start, A skipper's horn is blown to raise the creaking draw. At times a blacksmith's sandal sounds with slow and sluggard beat, or stagecoach on its dusty rounds fakes up the staring street. A place for idle eyes and ears, a cobweb nook of dreams, left by the stream whose waves are years the stranded village seems. And there, like other moss and rust, the native dweller clings and keeps, in uninquiring trust, the old, dull round of things. The fisher drops his patient lines, the farmer sows his grain, content to hear the murmuring pines instead of railroad train. Go where, along the tangled steep that slopes against the west, the hamlet's buried idlers sleep in still profounder rest. Throw back the locust's flowery plume, the birch's pale green scarf, and break the web of briar and bloom from name and epitaph. A simple muster roll of death, of pomp and romance shorn, the dry, Old names that common breath has cheapened and outworn, yet paused by one low mound and part the wild vines o'er it laced, and read the words by rustic art upon its headstone traced haply yon white-haired villager of fourscore years can say what means the noble name of her who sleeps with common clay, an exile from the Gascon land found refuge here and rest, and loved of all the village band its fairest and its best. He knelt with her on Sabbath morns, he worshipped through her eyes, and on the pride that doubts and scorns stole in her face, surprise. Her simple daily life he saw by homeliest duties tried, and all things by an untaught law of fitness justified. For her his rank aside he laid. He took the hue and tone of lowly life and toil, and made her simple ways his own. Yet still, in gay and careless ease, to harvest field or dance he brought the gentle courtesies, THE NAMELESS GRACE OF FRANCE. AND SHE WHO TAUGHT HIM LOVE NOT LESS FROM HIM, SHE LOVED IN TURN CAUGHT IN HER SWEET UNCONSCIOUSNESS WHAT LOVE IS QUICK TO LEARN. EACH GREW TO EACH IN PLEASED ACCORD, NOR KNEW THE GAZING TOWN IF SHE LOOKED UPWARD TO HER LORD OR HE TO HER LOOKED DOWN. HOW SWEET, WHEN SUMMER'S DAY WAS O'ER, HIS VIOLIN'S MIRTH AND WAIL, THE WALK ON PLEASANT NEWBERRY'S SHORE, THE RIVER'S moonlit SAIL. AH, LIFE IS BRIEF, THOUGH LOVE BE LONG, the altar and the bier, the burial hymn and bridal song, were both in one short year. Her rest is quiet on the hill, beneath the locusts bloom far off her lover sleeps as still within his scutcheon tomb. The Gascon lord the village maid, in death still clasp their hands, the love that levels rank and grade unites their severed lands. What matter who's the hillside grave, or who's the blazoned stone, forever to her western wave shall whisper blue garan. O oh, love! So hallowing every soil that gives thy sweet flower room, Wherever, nursed by ease or toil, The human heart takes bloom. Plant of lost Eden, From the sod of sinful earth unriven, White blossom of the trees of God Drop down to us from heaven. This tangled waste of mound and stone Is holy for thy sale, A sweetness which is all thy own Breeze out from fern and brake. And while ancestral pride Shall twine the Gascons' tomb with flowers, Fall sweetly here, O song of mine with summer's bloom and showers, and let the lines that severed seem unite again in thee, as western wave and gallic stream are mingled in one sea. 1863. Narrative and legendary poems by John Greenleaf Whittier Mabel Martin, A Harvest Idol. Proem. I. The River Valley. 2. The Husking. 3. The Witch's Daughter. 4. The Champion. V. In the Shadow. 6. The Betrothal the Prophecy of Samuel Sewell. The Red River voyageur, The Preacher. The Truce of Piscataqua. My Playmate. Cobbler-Keyser's Vision. Amy Wentworth. The Countess Mabel Martin. A Harvest Idol. Susanna Martin, an aged woman of Amesbury, Massachusetts, was tried and executed for the alleged crime of witchcraft. Her home was in what is now known as Pleasant Valley on the Merrimack, a little above the old Ferry Way, where, tradition says, an attempt was made to assassinate Sir Edmund Andrus on his way to Falmouth, afterward Portland, and Pemaquid, which was frustrated by a warning timely given. Goody Martin was the only woman hanged on the north side of the Merrimack during the dreadful delusion. The aged wife of Judge Bradbury who lived on the other side of the Pau River was imprisoned and would have been put to death but for the collapse of the hideous persecution. The substance of the poem which follows was published under the name of the witch's daughter in the national era in 1857. In 1875 my publishers desired to issue it with illustrations, and I then enlarged it and otherwise altered it to its present form. The principal addition was in the verses which constitute part 1. Proem. I call the old time back. I bring my lay in tender memory of the summer day when, where our native river lapsed away, we dreamed it over, while the thrushes made songs of their own, and the great pine trees laid on warm new lights the masses of their shade. And she was with us, living o'er again her life in ours, despite of years and pain. The autumn's brightness after latter rain, beautiful in her holy peace, as one who stands at evening when the work is done. Glorified in the setting of the sun, her memory makes our common landscape seem fairer than any of which painters dream. Lights the brown hills and sings in every stream. For she, whose speech was always truth's pure gold, heard not unpleased its simple legends told and loved with us the beautiful and old. I, the river valley, across the level tableland, a grassy, rarely trodden way, within his skirt of birch and spray. And stunted growth of cedar leads to where you see the dull plain fall sheer off, steep, slanted, plowed by all the season's rainfalls. On its brink, the overleaning harebells swing with roots half bare. The pine trees cling, and through the shadow, looking west, you see the wavering river flow along a vale that far below holds to the sun. The sheltering hills and glimmering waterline between broad fields of corn and meadows green and fruit-bent orchards grouped around the low brown roofs and painted eaves, and chimney-tops half-hidden leaves. No warmer valley hides behind yon wind-scourged sand dunes, cold and bleak. No fairer river comes to seek the waves some welcome of the sea, or mark the northmost border line of sun-loved growths of nut and vine. Here, ground fast in their native fields, untempted by the city's gain, the quiet farmer-folk remain, who bear the pleasant name of friends, and keep their father's gentle ways and simple speech of Bible days, in whose neat homestead's woman holds with modest ease her equal place, and wears upon her tranquil face. The look of one who, merging not her selfhood in another's will, is love's and duty's handmaid still. Pass with me down the path that winds through birches to the open land, where, close upon the river strand, you mark a cellar, vine o'erin. Above whose wall of loosened stones The sumach lifts its rending cones. And the black nightshade's berries shine, And broad, unsightly burdocks Fold the household ruin, century old. Here, in the dim colonial time Of sterner lives and gloomier faith, A woman lived, tradition saith, Who wrought her neighbor's foul annoy, And witched and plagued the countryside, Till at the hangman's hand she died. Sit with me while the westering day Falls slantwise down the quiet vale and, haply ere yon loitering sail. That rounds the upper headland, falls below Deer island's pines, or sees behind it hawkswood's belt of trees. Rise black against the sinking sun, my idol of its days of old, the valley's legend, shall be told. 2. The Husking It was the pleasant harvest time, when cellar bins are closely stowed, and garrets bend beneath their load. And the old swallow-haunted barns, brown-gabled, long, and full of seams through which the rooted sunlight streams, And winds blow freshly in, To shake the red plumes of the roost cocks, And the loose haymows scented locks, Are filled with summer's ripened stores, Its odorous grass and barley sheaves, From their low scaffolds to their eaves. On Ezek Hardin's oaken floor, With many an autumn threshing worn, Lay the heaped ears of unhusked corn. And thither came young men and maids, Beneath the moon that, large and low, lit that sweet eve of long ago. They took their places, some by chance, and others by a merry voice or sweet smile guided to their choice. How pleasantly the rising moon, between the shadow of the moes, looked on them through the great elm boughs, on sturdy boyhood, sun-embrowned, on girlhood with its solid curves of healthful strength and painless nerves, and jests went round, and laughs that made the house-dog answer with his howl. And kept to stir the barnyard fowl, and quaint old songs their fathers sung in Derby Dales and Yorkshire Moors ere Norman William trod their shores, and tales whose merry license shook the fat sides of the Saxon thane, forgetful of the hovering Dane. Rude plays to Celt and Simbrei known, the charms and riddles that beguiled on Oxus banks the young world's child, that primal picture speech wherein have youth and made the story told so new in each, so dateless old. Recalling pastoral Ruth and her who waited, blushing and demure, the red ear's kiss of forfeiture. But still the sweetest voice was mute that River Valley ever heard from lips of maid or throat of bird. For Mabel Martin sat apart, and let the haymow's shadow fall upon the loveliest face of all. She sat apart, as one forbid, who knew that none would condescend to own the witch-wife's child a friend. The season scarce had gone their round, since curious thousands thronged to see her mother at the gallows tree, and mocked the prison-palsied limbs that faltered on the fatal stairs, and wan lip trembling with its prayers. Few questioned of the sorrowing child, or, when they saw the mother die, dreamed of the daughter's agony. They went up to their homes that day, as men and Christians justified God willed it, and the wretch had died. Dear God and Father of us all, Forgive our faith in cruel lies, forgive the blindness that denies. Forgive thy creature when he takes, for the all-perfect love thou art, some grim creation of his heart. Cast down our idols, overturn our bloody altars. Let us see thyself in thy humanity. Young Mabel from her mother's grave crept to her desolate hearthstone and wrestled with her fate alone. With love and anger and despair, the phantoms of disordered sense, the awful doubts of Providence. Oh, dreary broke the winter days, and dreary fell the winter nights when, one by one, the neighboring lights went out, and human sounds grew still, and all the phantom people dark closed round her hearth-fire's dying spark. And summer days were sad and long, and sad the uncompanioned eaves, and sadder sunset-tinted leaves. And Indian summer's airs of balm, she scarcely felt the soft caress the beauty died of loneliness. The schoolboys jeered her as they passed, and, when she sought the house of prayer, her mother's curse pursued her there. And still o'er many a neighboring door she saw the horseshoe's curved charm, to guard against her mother's harm. That mother, poor and sick and lame, who daily, by the old armchair, folded her withered hands in prayer, who turned, in Salem's dreary jail, her worn old Bible o'er and o'er, when her dim eyes could read no more, Sore tried and pained, the poor girl kept her faith, and trusted that her way, so dark, would somewhere meet the day. And still her weary wheel went round day after day, with no relief small leisure have the poor for grief. 4. The Champion So in the shadow Mabel sits, untouched by mirth she sees and hears, her smile is sadder than her tears. But cruel eyes have found her out, and cruel lips repeat her name, and taunt her with her mother's shame. She answered not with railing words but drew her apron o'er her face and sobbing glided from the place and only pausing at the door her sad eyes met the troubled gaze of one who in her better days had been her warm and steady friend ere yet her mother's doom had made even Isaac harden half afraid he felt that mute appeal of tears and starting with an angry frown hushed all the wicked murmurs down good neighbors mine he sternly said This passes harmless mirth or jest. I brook no insult to my guest. She is indeed her mother's child, but God's sweet pity ministers unto no whiter soul than hers. Let Goody Martin rest in peace. I never knew her harm a fly, and which or not God knows, not I. I know who swore her life away, and as God lives, I not condemn an Indian dog on word of them. The broadest lands in all the town, the skill to guide— the power to all were hardens, and his word was law. None dared withstand him to his face, but one sly maiden spake aside, the little witch's evil-eyed. Her mother only killed a cow, or witch to churn or dairy pan, but she, forsooth, must charm a man. Thee, in the shadow. Per Mabel, homeward turning, passed the nameless terrors of the wood, and saw, as if a ghost pursued. Her shadow gliding in the moon. The soft breath of the west wind gave a chill as from her mother's grave. How dreary seemed the silent house. Wide in the moonbeam's ghastly glare its windows had a dead man's stare. And like a gaunt and spectral hand, the tremulous shadow of a birch reached out and touched the door's low porch. As if to lift its latch, hard by, a sudden warning call she beard the night cry of a boating bird. She leaned against the door, her face so fair. So young, so full of pain, White in the moonlight's silver rain. The river, on its pebbled rim, Made music such as childhood knew The dooryard tree was whispered through By voices such as childhood's ear Had heard in moonlight's long ago And through the willow boughs below. She saw the rippled waters shine Beyond, in waves of shade and light, The hills rolled off into the night. She saw and heard, But over all a sense of some transforming spell, THE SHADOW OF HER SICK HEART FELL, AND STILL ACROSS THE WOODED SPACE THE HARVEST LIGHTS OF HARDENED shone, AND SONG AND JEST AND LAUGH WENT ON, AND HE, SO GENTLE, TRUE, AND STRONG, OF MEN THE BRAVEST AND THE BEST, HAD HE, TOO, SCORNED HER WITH THE REST? SHE STROVE TO DROWN HER SENSE OF WRONG, AND, IN HER OLD AND SIMPLE WAY, TO TEACH HER BITTER HEART TO PRAY. POOR CHILD! THE PRAYER, BEGUN IN FAITH, GREW TO A LOW, DESPAIRING CRY OF utter MISERY. Let me die. Oh, take me from the scornful eyes, And hide me where the cruel speech And mocking finger may not reach. I dare not breathe my mother's name, A daughter's right I dare not crave To weep above her unblessed grave. Let me not live until my heart, With few to pity, And with none to love me, Hardens into stone. O oh God, have mercy on thy child, Whose faith in thee grows weak and small, And take me ere I lose it all, a shadow on the moonlight fell, and murmuring wind and wave became a voice whose burden was her name. 6. The Betrothal Had then God heard her? Had he sent his angel down? In flesh and blood, before her Ezek Harden stood, he laid his hand upon her arm. Dear Mabel, this no more shall be. Who scoffs that you must scoff at me? You know rough Ezek Harden well, and if he seems no suitor gay, and if his hair is touched with gray. The maiden grown shall never find his heart less warm than when she smiled upon his knees, a little child. Her tears of grief were tears of joy, as, folded in his strong embrace, she looked in Ezek Hardin's face. O truest friend of all, she said, God bless you for your kindly thought, and make me worthy of my lot. He led her forth, and blent in one, beside their happy pathway ran the shadows of the maid and man. He led her through his dewy fields. TO WHERE THE SWINGING LANTERNS GLOWED, AND THROUGH THE DOORS THE HUSKERS SHOWED. GOOD FRIENDS AND NEIGHBORS, Ezek SAID. I'M WEARY OF THIS LONELY LIFE. IN Mabel, SEE MY CHOSEN WIFE. SHE GREETS YOU KINDLY, ONE AND ALL. THE PAST IS PAST, AND ALL OFFENSE FALLS HARMLESS FROM HER INNOCENCE. HENCEFORTH SHE STANDS NO MORE ALONE. YOU KNOW WHAT Ezek HARDEN IS. HE BROOKS NO WRONG TO HIM OR HIS. NOW LET THE MERRIEST TALES BE TOLD and let the sweetest songs be sung that ever made the old heart young. For now the lost has found a home, and a lone hearth shall brighter burn, as all the household joys return. Oh, pleasantly the harvest moon, between the shadow of the mows, looked on them through the great elm, boughs. On Mabel's curls of golden hair, on Isaac's shaggy strength it fell, and the wind whispered, It is well! The Prophecy of Samuel Sewell The prose version of this prophecy is to be found in Sewell's The New Heaven Upon the New Earth, 1697, quoted in Joshua Coffin's History of Newberry. Judge Sewell's father, Henry Sewell, was one of the pioneers of Newberry. Up and down the village streets strange are the forms my fancy meets, for the thoughts and things of today are hid, and through the veil of a closed lid the ancient worthies I see again I hear the tap of the elder's cane, and his awful periwig I see and the silver buckles of shoe and knee. Stately and slow, with thoughtful air, his black cap hiding his whitened hair, walks the judge of the greatest size, Samuel Sewell the good and wise. His face with lines of firmness wrought, he wears the look of a man unbought, who swears to his hurt and changes not. Yet, touched and softened nevertheless with the grace of Christian gentleness, the face that a child would climb to kiss. True and tender and brave and just, That man might honor and woman trust. Touching and sad, a tale is told, like a penitent hymn of the psalmist old, of the fast which the good man lifelong kept to with a haunting sorrow that never slept, as the circling year brought round the time of an error that left the sting of crime, when he sat on the bench of the witchcraft courts, with the laws of Moses and Hale's reports, and spake, in the name of both, the word that gave the witch's neck to the cord, and piled the oaken planks that pressed the feeble life from the Warlock's breast. All the day long, from dawn to dawn, his door was bolted, his curtain drawn. No foot on his silent threshold trod, no eye looked on him save that of God, as he baffled the ghosts of the dead with charms of penitent tears, and prayers, and psalms, and with precious proofs from the sacred word of the boundless pity and love of the Lord, his faith confirmed and his trust renewed that the sin of his ignorance sorely rued. Might be washed away in the mingled flood of his human sorrow and Christ's. Dear blood, green forever the memory be of the judge of the old theocracy, whom even his errors glorified, like a far seen, sunlit mountainside by the cloudy shadows which o'er it glide. I honour and praise to the Puritan who the halting step of his age outran, and seeing the infinite worth of man in the priceless gift the Father gave, in the infinite love that stooped to save, dared not brand his brother a slave. Who doth such wrong? He was wont to say, in his own quaint, picture-loving way, flings up. To heaven a hand grenade which God shall cast down upon his head. Widely as heaven and hell, contrast that brave old jurist of the past and the cunning trickster and knave of courts who the holy features of truth distorts, ruling as right the will of the strong, poverty, crime, and weakness wrong, wider to power, to the wronged and weak deaf as Egypt's gods of leek. Scoffing aside at parties not order of nature and law of God, For of whose dabbled ermine respect were waste, Reverence folly, and awe misplaced. Justice of whom t were vain to seek as from, Cordish robber or Syrian sheik. Oh, leave the wretch to his bribes and sins, Let him rot in the web of lies he spins. To the saintly soul of the early day, To the Christian judge, let us turn and say, Praise and thanks for an honest man. Glory to God for the Puritan! I see far southward, this quiet day, the hills of Newbury rolling away, with the many tints of the season gay, dreamily blending in autumn mist crimson, and gold, and amethyst. Long and low, with dwarf trees crowned, Plum Island lies, like a whale aground, a stone's toss over the narrow sound. Inland, as far as the eye can go, the hills curve round like a bended bough, a silver arrow from out them sprung. I see the shine of the come, and round and round, over valley and hill, old roads winding, as old roads will, here to a ferry, and there to a mill, and glimpses of chimneys and gabled eaves, through green elm marches and maple leaves, old homesteads sacred to all that can gladden or sadden the heart of man, over whose thresholds of oak and stone life and death have come and gone. Their pictured tiles in the fireplace show, great beams sag from the ceiling low, the dresser glitters with polished wares, the long clock ticks on the footworn stairs, and the low, broad chimney shows the crack by the earthquake made a century back. Up from their midst springs the village spire with the crest of its cock and the sun afire, beyond our orchards and planting lands, and great salt marshes and glimmering sands, and where north and south the coastlines run, the blink of the sea and breeze and sun. I see it all like a chart unrolled, but my thoughts are full of the past and old. I hear the tales of my boyhood told, And the shadows and shapes of early days Flit dimly by in the veiling haze, With measured movement and rhythmic chime Leaving like shuttles my web of rhyme. I think of the old man wise and good Who once on yon misty hillside stood, A poet who never measured rhyme, A seer unknown to his dullard time, And propped on his staff of age, Looked down, with his boyhood's love, On his native town, where, written, As if on its hills and plains, his burden of prophecy yet remains, for the voices of wood, and wave, and wind to read in the ear of the musing mind. As long as Plum Island, to guard the coast as God appointed, shall keep its post. As long as a salmon shall haunt the deep of Merrimack River, or Sturgeon Leap. As long as pickerel swift and slim, or red-backed perch, in crane pond swim. As long as the annual sea-fowl know their time to come and their time to go. As long as cattle shall roam at will the green. Grass meadows by Turkey Hill. As long as sheep shall look from the side of Old Town Hill on Marish's Wide, and Parker River, and Salt Sea. Tide. As long as a wandering pigeon shall search the fields below from his white oak perch, when the barley harvest is ripe and shorn, and the dry husks fall from the standing corn. As long as nature shall not grow old, nor drop her work from her doting hold, and her care for the Indian corn forget, and the yellow rose and pears to set. So long shall Christians here be born, grow up and ripen as God's sweet corn, by the beak of bird, by the breath of frost, shall never a holy ear be lost, but, husked by death in the planter's sight, be sown again in the fields of light. The island still is purple with plums, up the river the salmon comes, the sturgeon leaps, and the wild fowl feeds on hillside berries and marish seeds. All the beautiful signs remain from springtime sowing to autumn rain the good man's vision returns again. And let us hope, as well we can, that the silent angel who garners man may find some grain as of old lie found in the human cornfield ripe and sound, and the lord of the harvest deign to own the precious seed by the father sown. 1859. The Red Riper Voyageur, Out and in the river is winding the links of its long, red chain, through belts of dusky pine land and gusty leagues of plain. Only, at times, a smoke-wreath with the drifting cloud-rack joins the smoke of the hunting-lodges of the wild Assiniboines. Drearily blows the north wind from the land of ice and snow. The eyes that look are weary, and heavy the hands that row. And with one foot on the water, and one upon the shore, the angel of shadow gives warning that day shall be no more. Is it the clang of wild geese? Is it the Indian's yell, that lends to the voice of the north wind the tones of a far-off bell? The voyageur smiles as he listens to the sound that grows apace, while he knows the vesper ringing of the bells of St. Boniface. The bells of the Roman mission, that call from their turrets twain, to the boatman on the river, to the hunter on the plain. Even so in our mortal journey the bitter north winds blow, and thus upon life's red river our hearts, as oarsmen, row. And when the angel of shadow rests his feet on wave and shore, and our eyes grow dim with watching and our hearts faint at the oar, Happy is he who heareth the signal of his release in the bells of the holy city, the chimes of eternal peace. 1859. The Preacher. George Whitefield, the celebrated preacher, died at Newburyport in 1770, and was buried under the church which has since borne his name. Its windows flashing to the sky, beneath a thousand roofs of brown, far down the vale, my friend and I beheld the old and quiet town. THE GHOSTLY SAILS THAT OUT AT SEA FLAP THEIR WHITE WINGS OF MYSTERY, THE BEACHES GLIMMERING IN THE SUN, AND THE LOW WOODED CAPES THAT RUN INTO THE SEA MIST NORTH AND SOUTH, THE SAND BLUFFS AT THE RIVER'S MOUTH, THE SWINGING CHAINBRIDGE, AND AFAR, THE FOAM LINE OF THE HARBOR BAR. OVER THE WOODS AND meadowlands, A CRIMSON-TINTED SHADOW LAY, OF CLOUDS THROUGH WHICH THE SETTING DAY FLUNG A SLANT GLORY FAR AWAY. It glittered on the wet sea-sands, it flamed upon the city's panes, smote the white sails of ships that wore outward o'er in, and glided o'er the steeples with their veering veins. Awhile, my friend, with rapid search o'er in the landscape, yonder spire over gray roofs, a shaft of fire, what is it, pray? The Whitefield Church, walled about by its basement stones, there rests a the marvelous prophet's bones. Then as our homeward way we walked, of the great preacher's life we talked, AND THROUGH THE MYSTERY OF OUR THEME THE OUTWARD GLORY SEEMED TO STREAM, AND NATURE SELF-INTERPRETED THE DOUBTFUL RECORD OF THE DEAD, AND EVERY LEVEL BEAM THAT SMOTE THE SAILS UPON THE DARK AFLOAT A SYMBOL OF THE LIGHT BECAME, WHICH TOUCHED THE SHADOWS OF OUR BLAME, WITH TONGUES OF PENTECOSTAL FLAME. OVER THE ROOFS OF THE PIONEERS gathers THE MOSS OF A HUNDRED YEARS. ON MAN AND HIS WORKS HAS PASSED THE CHANGE WHICH NEEDS MUST BE IN A century's RANGE. THE LAND LIES OPEN AND WARM IN THE SUN. Endles clamor and wheels run, flocks on the hillsides, herds on the plain, the wilderness gladdened with fruit and grain. But the living faith of the settlers old the dead profession their children hold, to the lust of office and greed of trade as stepping-stone is the altar made. The church, to place and power the door, rebukes the sin of the world no more, nor sees its lord in the homeless poor. Everywhere is the grasping hand, an eager adding of land to land, and earth— which seemed to the fathers meant but as a pilgrim's wayside tent, a nightly shelter to fold away when the Lord should call at the break of day, solid and steadfast seems to be, and time has forgotten eternity. But fresh and green from the rotting roots of primal forests the young growth shoots, from the death of the old the new proceeds, and the life of truth from the rod of creeds on the ladder of God, which upward leads, the steps of progress are human needs. For his judgments still are a mighty deep, and the eyes of his providence never sleep when the night is darkest he gives the morn, when the famine is sorest, the wine and corn. In the church of the wilderness Edwards wrought, shaping his creed at the forge of thought, and with Thor's own hammer welded and bent the iron links of his argument, which strove to grasp in its mighty spend the purpose of God and the fate of man yet faithful still, in his daily round to the weak, and the poor, and Sinsic found, the schoolman's lore and the casuists' art drew warmth and life from his fervent heart. Had he not seen in the solitudes of his deep and dark Northampton woods a vision of love about him fall? Not the blinding splendor which fell on Saul, but the tender glory that rests on them who walk in the new Jerusalem, where never the sun nor moon are known, but the Lord and his love are the light alone and watching the sweet, still countenance of the wife of his bosom wrapped in trance. Had he not treasured each broken word of the mystical wonder seen and heard? And loved the beautiful dreamer more that thus to the desert of earth she bore clusters of eshkal from Canaan's shore? As the barley winner, holding with pain aloft and waiting his chaff and grain, joyfully welcomes the far-off breeze sounding the pine-tree's slender keys, so he who had waited long to hear the sound of the spirit drawing near, like that which the son of Ido heard when the feet of angels the myrtle stirred, felt the answer of prayer, at last. As over his church the afflatus passed, breaking its sleep as breezes break to sunbright ripples a stagnant lake. At first, a tremor of silent fear, the creep of the flesh at danger near, a vague foreboding and discontent, over the hearts of the people went. All nature warned in sounds and signs, the wind in the tops of the forest pines in the name of the highest called to prayer, as the muezzin calls from the minaret stair. Through sealed chambers of secrets, since sudden and strong the light shone in, a guilty sense of his neighbor's needs startled the man of title deeds. The trembling hand of the worldling shook the dust of years from the holy book, and the Psalms of David, forgotten long, took the place of the scoffer's song. The impulse spread like the outward course of waters moved by a central force. The tide of spiritual life rolled down from inland mountains to seaboard town. Prepared and ready the altar stands waiting the prophet's outstretched hands in prayer availing to downward call the fiery answer in view of all. HEARTS ARE LIKE WAX IN THE FURNACE, WHO SHALL MOLD, AND SHAPE, AND CAST THEM ANEW. LO, BY THE Merrimack WHITEFIELD STANDS IN THE TEMPLE THAT NEVER WAS MADE BY HANDS, CURTAINS OF AZURE, AND CRYSTAL WALL, AND DOME OF THE SUNSHINE OVER ALL, A HOMELESS PILGRIM, WITH DUBIOUS NAME BLOWN ABOUT ON THE WINDS OF FAME, NOW AS AN ANGEL OF BLESSING CLASSED, AND NOW AS A MAD ENTHUSIAST, CALLED IN HIS YOUTH TO SOUND AND GAGE THE MORAL LAPSE OF HIS RACE AND AGE, And sharp as truth, the contrast draw of human frailty and perfect law. Possessed by the one dread thought that lent its goad to his fiery temperament, up and down the world he went, a John the Baptist crying, Repent! No perfect hole can our nature make. Here or there the circle will break. The orb of life as it takes the light on one side leaves the other in night. Never was saint so good and great as to give no chance at S. T. Peter's gate for the plea of the devil's advocate. So, Incomplete by his being's law, the marvellous preacher had his flaw, with step unequal, and lain with faults, his shade on the path of history halts. Wisely and well said the eastern bard fear is easy, but love is hard, easy to glow with the Santan's rage, and walk on the Meccan pilgrimage, but he is greatest and best who can worship Allah by loving man. Thus he, to whom, in the painful stress of zeal on fire from its own excess, Heaven seemed so vast and earth so small that man was nothing, since God was all, forgot, as the best at times have done, that the love of the Lord and of man are one. Little to him whose feet unshod the thorny path of the desert trod, careless of pain, so it led to God, seemed the hunger pang and the poor man's wrong, the weak ones trodden beneath the strong. Should the worm be chooser, the clay withstand the shaping will of the potter's hand? In the Indian fable Arjuna hears the scorn of a god rebuke his fears. Spare thy pity, Krishna saith, not in thy sword is the power of death. All is illusion, lost but seems, pleasure and pain are only dreams. Who deems he slayeth doth not kill, who counts as slain is living still. Strike, nor fear thy blow is crime, nothing dies but the cheats of time. Slain or slayer, small the odds to each. Immortal as Indra's gods. So by Savannah's banks of shade, the stones of his mission the preacher laid on the heart of the Negro crushed and rent, and made of his blood the wall's cement, bade the slave ship speed from coast to coast, fanned by the wings of the Holy Ghost, and begged, for the love of Christ, the gold coined from the hearts in its groaning hold. What could it matter, more or less of stripes, and hunger, and weariness? Living or dying, bond or free, what was time to eternity? Alas for the preacher's cherished schemes! Mission and church are now but dreams, nor prayer nor fasting availed the plan to honor God through the wrong of man. Of all his labors, no trace remains save the bondman lifting his hands in chains. The woof he wove in the righteous warp of freedom loving Oglethorpe, clothes with curses the goodly land, changes its greenness and bloom to sand, and a century's lapse reveals once more the slave ship stealing to Georgia's shore. Father of light, How blind is he who sprinkles the altar he rears to thee with the blood and tears of humanity! He erred, Shall we count his gifts as naught? Was the work of God in him unwrought? The servant may through his deafness err, and blind may be God's messenger. But the errand is sure they go upon, the word is spoken, the deed is done. Was the Hebrew temple less fair and good that Solomon bowed to gods of wood? For his tempted heart and wandering feet— were the songs of David less pure and sweet? So in light and shadow the preacher went, God's erring and human instrument, and the hearts of the people where he passed swayed as the reeds sway in the blast, under the spell of a voice which took in its compass the flow of Siloa's brook, and the mystical chime of the bells of gold on the ephod's hem of the priest of old, now the roll of thunder, and now the awe of the trumpet heard in the mount of law. A solemn fear on the listening crowd fell like the shadow of a cloud, The sailor reeling from out the ships whose masts stood thick in the river slips felt the jest and the curse die on his lips. Listened the fisherman rude and hard, the cocker rough from the builder's yard. The man of the market left his load, the teamster leaned on his bending goad, the maiden, and youth beside her, felt their hearts in a closer union melt, and saw the flowers of their love and bloom down the endless vistas of life to come. Old age sat feebly brushing away from his ears the scanty locks of gray. And careless boyhood, living the free, unconscious life of bird and tree, suddenly wakened to a sense of sin and its guilty consequence. It was as if an angel's voice called the listeners up for their final choice, as if a strong hand rent apart the veils of sense from soul and heart, showing in light ineffable the joys of heaven and woes of hell all about in the misty air the hills seemed kneeling in silent prayer. The rustle of leaves, the moaning sedge, the water's lap on its graveled edge, the wailing pines, And far and faint, the wood dove's note of sad complaint to the solemn voice of the preacher lent an undertone as of low lament, and the note of the sea from its sand coast on the easterly wind, now heard, now lost, seemed the murmurous sound of the judgment host. Yet wise men doubted, and good men wept, as that storm of passion above them swept, and comet like, adding flame to flame, the priests of the new evangel came, Davenport. Flashing upon the crowd, charged like summer's electric cloud, now holding the listener still as death with terrible warnings under breath, now shouting for joy, as if he viewed the vision of heaven's beatitude. And Celtic tenant, his long coat bound like a monk's with leathern girdle round, wild with the toss of unshorn hair, and wringing of hands, and eyes aglare, groaning under the world's despair. Grave pastors, grieving their flocks to lose, prophesied to the empty pews that gourds would wither, and mushrooms die, and noisiest fountains run soonest dry, like the spring that gushed in Newberry Street, under the tramp of the earthquake's feet, a silver shaft in the air and light, for a single day, then lost in night, leaving only, its place to tell, sandy fissure and sulfurous smell, with zeal when clipped and white heat cool, moved by the spirit and grooves of rule, no longer harried, and cropped, And fleeced, flogged by sheriff and cursed by priest, but by wiser counsels left at ease to settle quietly on his lees, and self-concentred, to count as done the work which his father's well begun, in silent protest of letting alone, the Quaker kept the way of his own, a non-conductor among the wires, with coat of asbestos proof to fires. And quite unable to mend his pace to catch the falling manna of grace, he hugged the closer his little store of faith, and silently prayed for more. And vague of creed and barren of right, but holding, as in his master's sight, act and thought to the inner light, the round of his simple duties walked, and strove to live what the others talked. And who shall marvel if evil went step by step with the good intent, and with love and meekness, side by side, lust of the flesh and spiritual pride, that passionate longings and fancies vain set the heart on fire and crazed the brain, that over the holy oracle's folly sported with cap and bells, That goodly women and learned men marveling told with tongue and pen how unweaned children chirp like birds texts of scripture and solemn words, like the infant seers of the rocky glens in the Puy de Dome of wild savannes or baby llamas who pray and preach from tartar cradles and Buddha's speech, in the war which truth or freedom wages with impious fraud and the wrong of ages, hate and malice and self-love mar the notes of triumph with painful jar, and the helping angels turn aside their sorrowing faces the shame to bide. Never on customs oiled grooves the world to a higher level moves, but grates and grinds with friction hard on granite boulder and flinty shard. The heart must bleed before it feels, the pool be troubled before it heals. Ever by losses the right must gain, every good have its birth of pain. The active virtues blush to find the vices wearing their badge behind, and graces and charities feel the fire wherein the sins of the age expire. The fiend still rends as of old he rent the tortured body from which he went but time tests all. In the overdrift and flow of the Nile, with its annual gift, who cares for the haji's relics sunk? Who thinks of the drowned-out Coptic monk? The tide that loosens the temple's stones and scatters the sacred ibis bones drives away from the valley land that Arab robber, the wandering sand, moistens the fields that know no rain, fringes the desert with belts of grain, and bread to the sower brings again. So the flood of emotion deep and strong troubled the land as it swept along, but left a result of holier lives, tenderer mothers and worthier wives. The husband and father whose children fled and sad wife wept when his drunken tread frightened peace from his roof-tree's shade, and a rock of offense his hearthstone made, in a strength that was not his own began to rise from the brutes to the plain of man. Old friends embraced, long held apart by evil counsel and pride of heart, and penitence saw through misty tears, in the bow of hope on its cloud of fears, the promise of heaven's eternal years, the peace of God for the world's annoy, beauty for ashes, and oil of joy under the church of Federal Street, under the tread of its Sabbath feet, walled about by its basement stones, lie the marvelous preacher's bones. No saintly honors to them are shown, no sign nor miracle have they known. But be who passes the ancient church stops in the shade of its belfry porch and ponders the wonderful life of him who lies at rest in that charnel dim. Long shall the traveller strain his eye from the railroad car, as it plunges by, and the vanishing town behind him search for the slender spire of the whitefield church, and feel for one moment the ghosts of trade, and fashion, and folly, and pleasure laid, by the thought of that life of pure intent, that voice of warning yet eloquent, of one on the errands of angels sent and if where he labored the flood of sin like a tide from the harbour bar sets in, and over a life of tune and sense the church spires lift their vain defence, as if to scatter the bolts of God with the points of Calvin's thunder rod, still, as the gem of its civic crown, precious beyond the world's renown, his memory hallows the ancient town. 1859. The Truce of Piscataqua. In the winter of 1675-76, the eastern Indians, Who had been making war upon the New Hampshire settlements, were so reduced in numbers by fighting and famine that they agreed to a peace with Major Waldron at Dover, but the peace was broken in the fall of 1676. The famous chief, Squando, was the principal negotiator on the part of the savages. He had taken up the hatchet to revenge the brutal treatment of his child by drunken white sailors, which caused its death. It not unfrequently happened during the border wars that young white children were adopted by their Indian captors, and so kindly treated that they were unwilling to leave the free, wild life of the woods, and in some instances they utterly refused to go back with their parents to their old homes and civilization. Raise these long blocks of brick and stone, these huge mill monsters overgrown. Blot out the humbler piles as well, where, moved like living shuttles, dwell the weaving genii of the bell. Tear from the wild cachecos track the dams that hold its torrents back, And let the loud rejoicing fall plunge, Roaring, down its rocky wall, And let the Indians paddle play on the unbridged Piscataqua. Wide over hill and valley spread once more the forest, Dust and dread, with here and there a clearing cut from the walled shadows round it shut, Each with its farmhouse builded rude, By English yeomen squared and hewed, And the grim, flankered blockhouse bound with bristling palisades around. So, haply shall before thine eyes the dusty veil of centuries rise, the old, strange scenery overlaid the tamer pictures of today, while, like the actors in a play, pass in their ancient guise along the figures of my border song what time beside Kacheco's flood the white man and the red man stood, with words of peace and brotherhood, when past the sacred calumet from lip to lip with fire-draft wet, and puffed in scorn, the peace pipe smoke through the grey beard of Waldron broke, and. Squando's voice, in suppliant plea for mercy, struck the haughty key of one who held, in any fate, his native pride inviolate. Let your ears be opened wide. He who speaks has never lied. Waldron of Piscataqua, hear what Squando has to say. Squando shuts his eyes and sees, far off, Sacco's hemlock trees. In his wigwam, still as stone, sits a woman all alone. Wampum beads and birch and strands dropping from her careless hands, Listening ever for the fleet patter of a dead child's feet. When the moon a year ago told the flowers the time to blow, And that lonely wigwam smiled Minui, our little child. Ere that moon grew thin and old, he was lying still and cold, Sent before us, weak and small, when the master did not call. On his little grave I lay, three times went and came the day, Thrice above me blazed the noon, thrice upon me wept the moon. In the third night watch I heard, far and low, a spirit bird, very mournful, very wild, sang the totem of my child. Menui, poor Menui, walks a path he cannot see let the white man's wigwam light with its blaze his steps aright. All uncalled, he dares not show empty hands to manito better gifts he cannot bear than the scalps his slayers wear. All the while the totem sang, lightning blazed and thunder rang, and a black cloud, Reaching high, pulled the white moon from the sky. I, the medicine man, whose ear all that spirits bear can hear. I, whose eyes are wide to see all the things that are to be. Well, I knew the dreadful signs in the whispers of the pines, in the river roaring loud, in the mutter of the cloud. At the breaking of the day, from the grave I passed away. Flowers bloomed round me. Birds sang glad, but my heart was hot and mad. There is rust on Squando's knife. From the warm, red springs of life, On the funeral hemlock trees many a scalp the totem sees. Blood for blood, but evermore Squando's heart is sad and sore, And his poor squaw waits at home for the feet that never come. Waldron of Kacheco, here! Squando speaks, who laughs at fear, Take the captives he has tain, let the land have peace again. As the words died on his tongue, Wide apart his warriors swung, parted, At the sign he gave, right and left, like Egypt's wave. And like Israel passing free through the prophet-charmed sea, Captive mother, wife, and child through the dusky terror filed. One alone, a little maid, middleway her steps delayed, Glancing, with quick, troubled sight, round about from red to white. Then his hand the Indian laid on the little maiden's head, Lightly from her forehead fair, smoothing back her yellow hair. Gift or favor ask I none. What I have is all my own, never yet the birds have sung. Squando hath a beggar's tongue. Yet for her who waits at home, for the dead who cannot come, let the little gold hair be in the place of Menui. Miss Hannock, my little star, come to Sacco's pines afar, where the sad one waits at home. Wequashim, my moonlight, come. What? quoth Waldron. Leave a child Christian born to heathens wild? As God lives, from Satan's hand I will pluck her as a bran. Hear me, white man, Squando cried. Let the little one decide. We quash him my moonlight, say, wilt thou go with me, or stay? Slowly, sadly, half afraid, half regretfully, the maid owned the ties of blood and race, turned from Squando's pleading face. Not a word the Indian spoke, but his wampum chain he broke, and the beaded wonder hung on that neck so fair and young. Silence shod, as phantoms seem in the marches of a dream, single-filed, the grim array through the pine trees wound away. Doubting, trembling, sore amazed. through her tears the young child gazed. God preserve her, Waldron said. Satan hath bewitched the maid. Years went and came. At close of day singing came a child from play, tossing from her loose-locked head gold in sunshine, brown in shade. Pride was in the mother's look. But her head she gravely shook, and with lips that fondly smiled, feigned to chide her truant child. Unabashed, the maid began. Up and down the brook I ran, where, beneath the bank so steep, lie the spotted trout asleep. Chip went squirrel on the wall, after me I heard him call, and the catbird on the tree tried his best to mimic me. Where the hemlocks grew so dark that I stopped to look, and hark, on a log, with feather hat, by the path, an Indian sat. Then I cried and ran away, but he called and bade me stay, and his voice was good and mild as my mother's to her child. And he took my wampum chain, looked and looked it o'er again, gave me berries, and beside, on my neck a plaything tied. Straight the mother stooped to see what the Indian's gift might be. On the braid of wampum hung, lo, a cross of silver swung. Well, she knew its graven sign, Squando's bird and totem pine. And a mirage of the brain flowed her childhood back again. Flashed the roof, the sunshine threw into space. The walls outgrew on the Indian's wigwam mat, blossom crowned. Again she sat, cool. She felt the west wind blow in her ear. The pines sang low, and like links from out a chain, dropped the years of care and pain, from the outward toil and din, from the griefs that gnaw within, to the freedom of the woods called the birds and winds and floods. Well, O oh painful minister! Watch thy flock, but blame not her, If her ear grew sharp to hear All their voices whispering near. Blame her not, as to her soul All the desert's glamour stole, That a tear for childhood's loss Dropped upon the Indian's cross. When, that night, the book was read, And she bowed her widowed head, And a prayer for each loved name Rose like incense from a flame. With a hope the creeds forbid in her pitying bosom hid, To the listening ear of heaven low, THE INDIAN'S NAME WAS GIVEN 1860 MY PLAYMATE THE PINES WERE DARK ON Rammoth HILL, THEIR SONG WAS SOFT AND LOW, THE BLOSSOMS in THE SWEET MAY WIND WERE FALLING LIKE THE SNOW, THE BLOSSOMS DRIFTED AT OUR FEET, THE ORCHARD BIRDS SANG CLEAR, THE SWEETEST AND THE SADDEST DAY IT SEEMED OF ALL THE YEAR, FOR MORE TO ME THAN BIRDS OR FLOWERS, MY PLAYMATE LEFT HER HOME, AND TOOK WITH HER THE LAUGHING SPRING, THE MUSIC AND THE BLOOM. She kissed the lips of kith and kin, she laid her hand in mine what more could ask the bashful boy who fed her father's kine. She left us in the bloom of May the constant years told o'er their seasons with as sweet May morns, but she came back no more. I walk, with noiseless feet, the round of uneventful years, still o'er and o'er I sow the spring and reap the autumn airs. She lives where all the golden year her summer roses blow, the dusky children of the sun before her come and go. There happily with her jeweled hand she smooths her silken gown, no more the homespun lap wherein I shook the walnuts down. The wild grapes wait us by the brook, the brown nuts on the hill, and still the mayday flowers make sweet the woods of Falino. The lilies blossom in the pond, the bird builds in the tree, the dark pines sing on Ramoth hill the slow song of the sea. I wonder if she thinks of them, and how the old time seems, if ever the pines of Ramoth would are sounding in her dreams. I see her face, I hear her voice. Does she remember mine? And what to her is now the boy who fed her father's kine? What cares she that the orioles build for other eyes than ours, that other hands with nuts are filled, and other laps with flowers? O oh, playmate in the golden time! Our mossy seed is green, its fringing violets blossom yet, the old trees o'er it lean. The winds so sweet with birch and fern a sweeter memory blow and there in spring the very sing the song of long ago, and still the pines of Ramothwood are moaning like the sea, the moaning of the sea of change between myself and thee. 1860. Cobbler-Keyser's Vision. This ballad was written on the occasion of a horticultural festival. Cobbler-Keyser was a noted character among the first settlers in the valley of the Merrimack. The beaver cut his timber with patient teeth that day, the minks were fish wards, and the crows surveyors of highway. When Kesar sat on the hillside upon his cobbler's form, with a pan of coals on either hand to keep his wax ends warm, and there, in the golden weather, he stitched and hammered and sung, in the brook he moistened his leather, in the pewter mug his tongue. Well knew the tough old Teuton who brewed the stoutest ale, and he paid the goodwife's reckoning in the coin of song and tale. The songs they still are singing who dressed the hills of vine, the tales that haunt the brocken and whisper down the Rhine. Woodsy and wild and lonesome, the swift stream wound away, through birches and scarlet maples flashing in foam and spray. Down on the sharp-horned ledges plunging in steep cascade, tossing its white-maned waters against the hemlock's shade. Woodsy and wild and lonesome, east and west and north and south, only the village of fishers down at the river's mouth. Only here and there a clearing, with its farmhouse rude and new, and tree-stumps, sward as Indians, where the scanty harvest grew. No shout of homebound reapers, no vintage song he heard, and on the green no dancing feet the merry violins stirred. Why should folk be glum? said Kiser, when nature herself is glad, and the painted woods are laughing at the faces so sour and sad? Small he'd had the careless cobbler what sorrow of heart was theirs who travailed in pain with the births of God, and planted a state with prayers. "'Hunting of witches and warlocks, smiting the heathen horde, "'one hand on the mason's trowel, and one on the soldier's sword. "'But give him his ale and cider, give him his pipe and song, "'little he cared for church or state, or the balance of right and wrong. Tea is work, work, work,' he muttered, "'and for rest a snuffle of psalms. "'He smote on his leathern apron with his brown and waxen palms.' Oh, for the purple harvest of the days when I was young for the merry grape-stained maidens and the pleasant songs they sung! Oh, for the breath of vineyards, of apples and nuts and wine for an oar to row and a breeze to blow down the grand old river Rhine! A tear in his blue eye glistened and dropped on his beard so gray. Old, old am I, said Kieser, and the Rhine flows far away. But a cunning man was the cobbler. He could call the birds from the trees, charm the black snake out of the ledges, and bring back the swarming bees. All the virtues of herbs and metals, all the lore of the woods, he knew, and the arts of the old world mingle with the marvels of the new. Well, he knew the tricks of magic, and the lapstone on his knee had the gift of the Mormon's goggles or the stone of Dr. D. 11. For the mighty master Agrippa wrought it with spell and rhyme from a fragment of mystic moonstone in the tower of Nethysim. To a cobbler mincing of the marvellous stone gave he, and he gave it, in turn, to Kieser, who brought it over the sea. He held up that mystic lapstone, he held it up like a lens, and he counted the long years coming ey twenties and by tens. One hundred years, quoth Kieser, and fifty have I told now open the new before me, and shut me out the old. Like a cloud of mist, the blackness rolled from the magic stone, and a marvellous picture mingled the unknown and the known still ran the stream to the river, and river and ocean joined, and there were the bluffs and the blue sea line, and cold north hills behind. But the mighty forest was broken by many a steeple town, by many a white-walled farmhouse, and many a garner brown. Turning a score of wheels, the stream no more ran free, white sails on the winding river, white sails on the far-off sea. Below in the noisy village the flags were floating gay, and shone on a thousand faces the light of a holiday. Swiftly the rival pluffmen turned the brown earth from their shares. Here were the farmers' treasures, there were the craftsmen's wares. Golden the goodwife's butter, ruby her currant wine, Grand were the strutting turkeys, fat were the beeves and swine. Yellow and red were the apples, and the ripe pear's russet brown, And the peaches had stolen blushes from the girls who shook them down. And with blooms of hill and wildwood, that shamed the toil of art, Mingled the gorgeous blossoms of the garden's tropic heart. What is it I see, said Kieser, am I here, or am I there? Is it a fate at Bingen? Do I look on Frankfurt Fair? But where are the clowns and puppets, and imps with horns and tail? And where are the rhenish flagons? And where is the foaming ale? Strange things, I know, will happen, strange things the Lord permits. But that droughty folk should be jolly puzzles my poor old wits. Here are smiling manly faces, and the maiden's step is gay. Nor sad by thinking, nor mad by drinking, nor mopes, nor fools, are they. Here's pleasure without regretting, and good without abuse, The holiday and the bridle of beauty and of use. Here's a priest and there is a Quaker, do the cat and dog agree? Have they burned the stocks for Overwood? Have they cut down the gallows tree? Would the old folk know their children? Would they own the graceless town, with never a ranter to worry and never a witch to drown? Loud laughed the cobbler-keezer, laughed like a schoolboy gay. Tossing his arms above him, the lapstone rolled away. It rolled down the rugged hillside, it spun like a wheel bewitched, it plunged through the leaning willows, and into the river pitched. There, in the deep, dark water, the magic stone lies still, under the leaning willows in the shadow of the hill. But off the idle fisher sits on the shadowy bank, and his dreams make marvelous pictures where the wizard's lapstone sank. And still, in the summer twilights, when the river seems to run out from the inner glory, warm with the melted sun, the weary mill girl lingers beside the charmed stream, and the sky and the golden waters shape and color her dream. Air wave the sunset gardens, the rosy signals fly, her homestead beckons from the cloud, and love goes sailing by. 1861. Amy Wentworth to William Bradford as they who watched by sickbeds find relief unwittingly from the great stress of grief and anxious care, in fantasies outwrought from the hearth's embers flickering low, or caught from whispering wind, or tread of passing feet, or vagrant memory calling up some sweet snatch of old song or romance, whence or why they scarcely know or ask, so thou and I, nursed in the faith that truth alone is strong in the endurance which outwearies wrong, with meek persistence baffling brutal force, and Trusting God against the universe, we, doomed to watch a strife we may not share with other weapons than the patriot's prayer, yet owning, with full hearts and moistened eyes, the awful beauty of self sacrifice, and wrung by keenest sympathy for all who give their loved ones for the living wall twixt law and treason, in this evil day may haply find, through automatic play of pen and pencil, solace to our pain, and hearten others with the strength we gain. I know it has been said our times require no play of art, nor dalliance with the lyre, no weak essay with fancy's chloroform to calm the hot, mad pulses of the storm, but the stern war blasts rather, such as sets the battle's teeth of serried bayonets, and pictures grim as vernays. Yet with these some softer tints may blend, and milder keys relieve the storm stunned ear. Let us keep sweet, if so we may, our hearts even while we eat the bitter harvest of our own device and half a century's moral cowardice as nurnberg sang while Wittenberg defied and cranick painted by his luther's side and through the war march of the puritan the silver stream of marvels music ran so let the household melodies be sung the pleasant pictures on the wall be hum so let us hold against the hosts of night and slavery all our vantage ground of light let treason boast its savagery and shake from its flagfolds its symbol rattlesnake, nurse its fine arts, lay human skins in tan, and carve its pipe bowls from the bones of man, and make the tale of Fijian banquets dull by drinking whiskey from a loyal skull. But let us guard, till this sad war shall cease, God grant it soon. The graceful arts of peace no foes are conquered who the victors teach their vandal manners and barbaric speech. And while, with hearts of thankfulness, We bear of the great common burden our full share, Let none upbraid us that the waves entice thy sea-dipped pencil, Or some quaint device, rhythmic, and sweet, Beguiles my pen away from the sharp strifes and sorrows of today. Thus, while the east wind keen from Labrador sings at the leafless elms, And from the shore of the great sea comes the monotonous roar of the long-breaking surf, And all the sky is grey with cloud, homebound and dull, I try to time a simple legend to the sounds of winds in the woods and waves on pebbled bounds, a song for oars to chime with, such as might be sung by tired sea-painters, who at night look from their hemlock camps, by quiet cove or beach, moonlighted on the waves they love. So hast thou looked, when level sunset lay on the calm bosom of some eastern bay, and all the spray-moist rocks and waves that rolled up the white sand-slopes flashed with ruddy gold, something it has, a flavor of the sea, and the sea's freedom, which reminds of thee. Its faded picture, dimly smiling down from the blurred fresco of the ancient town, I have not touched with warmer tints in vain, If, in this dark, sad year, it steals one thought from pain. Her fingers shame the ivory keys they dance so light along, The bloom upon her parted lips is sweeter than the song. O perfume suitor, spare thy smiles. Her thoughts are not of thee, she better loves the salted wind, The voices of the sea. Her heart is like an outbound ship that at its anchor swings. The murmur of the stranded shell is in the song she sings. She sings, and smiling, hears her praise, but dreams the while of one who watches from his sea-blown deck the icebergs in the sun. She questions all the winds that blow, and every fog-wreath dim, and bids the seabirds flying north bear messages to him. She speeds them with the thanks of men he periled life to save, and grateful prayers like holy oil to smooth for him the wave. Brown Viking of the fishing smack. Fair toast of all the town, the skipper's jerkin ill beseems the lady's silken gown. But ne'er shall Amy Wentworth wear for him the blush of shame who dares to set his manly gifts against her ancient name. The stream is brightest at its spring, and blood is not like wine, nor honoured less than he who errs is he who founds a line. Full lightly shall the prize be won, if love be fortune's spur, and never maiden stoops to him who lifts himself to her. Her home is brave in Jaffrey Street, with stately stairways worn by feet of old colonial knights and ladies gentleborn. Still green about its ample porch, the English ivy twines, trained back to show in English oak the herald’s carven signs. And on her, from the wainscot old, ancestral faces frown, and this has worn the soldier's sword, and that the judge's gown. But strong of will and proud as they, she walks the gallery floor as if she trod her sailor's deck by stormy Labrador. The sweet briar blooms on Kittery side, and green are Elliot's bowers, her garden is the pebbled beach, the mosses are her flowers. She looks across the harbor bar to see the white gulls fly. His greeting from the northern sea is in their clanging cry. She hums a song, and dreams that he, as in its romance old, shall homeward ride with silken sails and masts of beaten gold. Oh, rank is good, and gold is fair, and high and low mate ill. But love has never known a law beyond its own sweet will. 1862. The Countess. T. W. I inscribed this poem to Dr. Elias Weld of Haverhill, Massachusetts, to whose kindness I was much indebted in my boyhood. He was the one cultivated man in the neighborhood. His small but well-chosen library was placed at my disposal. He is the wise old doctor of Snowbound. Count François de Vipart with his cousin Joseph Rochemont de Poin came to the United States in the early part of the present century. They took up their residence at Rock's Village on the Merrimack, where they both married. The wife of Count Vipart was Mary Ingalls, who as my father remembered her was a very lovely young girl. Her wedding dress, as described by a lady still living, was pink satin with an overdress of white lace and white satin slippers. She died in less than a year after her marriage. Her husband returned to his native country. He lies buried in the family tomb of the Viparts at Bordeaux. I know not, time and space so intervene, Whether, still waiting with a trust serene, Thou bearest up thy fourscore years and ten, Or, called at last, art now heaven's citizen. But here or there, a pleasant thought of thee, Like an old friend, all day has been with me. The shy, still boy— for whom thy kindly hand smoothed his hard pathway to the wonderland of thought and fancy, in grey manhood yet keeps green the memory of his early debt. Today, when truth and falsehood speak their words through hot-lip cannon and the teeth of swords, listening with quickened heart and ear intent to each sharp clause of that stern argument, I still can hear at times a softer note of the old pastoral music round me float, while through the hot gleam of our civil strife looms the green mirage of a simpler life as, at his alien post, the sentinel drops the old bucket in the homestead well, and hears old voices in the winds that toss above his head the live-oak's beard of moss. So, in our trial time, and under skies shadowed by swords like Islam's paradise, I wait and watch, and let my fancy stray to milder scenes and youth's Arcadian day, and howso'er the pencil dipped in dreams shades the brown woods or tints the sunset streams. The country doctor in the foreground seems, whose ancient sulky down, the village lanes dragged, like a war-car, captive ills and pains. I could not paint the scenery of my song, mindless of one who looked thereon so long, who night and day, on duty's lonely round, made friends o' the woods and rocks, and knew the sound of each small brook, and what the hillside trees said to the winds that touched their leafy keys, who saw so keenly and so well could paint the village folk, with all their humors quaint, the parson ambling on his wallied groan grave and erect, with white hair backward blown, the tough old boatman, half amphibious grown, the muttering witch-wife of the gossip's tale, and the loud straggler levying his blackmail, old customs, habits, superstitions, fears, all that lies buried under fifty years. To thee, as is most fit, I bring my lay, and grateful, own the debt I cannot pay. Over the wooded northern ridge, between its houses brown to the dark tunnel of the bridge the street comes straggling down. You catch a glimpse, through birch and pine, of gable, roof, and porch, the tavern with its swinging sign, the sharp horn of the church. The river's steel-blue crescent curves to meet, in ebb and flow, the single broken wharf that serves for sloop and gundalo. With salt sea scents along its shores the heavy hayboats crawl, the long antennae of their oars and lazy rise and fall. Along the gray abutments wall the idle shadnet dries. The tall man in his cobbler's stall sits smoking with closed eyes. You hear the pier's low undertone of waves that chafe and gnaw. You start. A skipper's horn is blown to raise the creaking draw. At times a blacksmith's anvil sounds with slow and sluggard beat, or stagecoach on its dusty rounds fakes up the staring street. A place for idle eyes and ears, a cobweb nook of dreams, left by the stream whose waves are years the stranded village seems. And there, like other moss and rust, the native dweller clings, and keeps, in uninquiring trust, the old, dull round of things. The fisher drops his patient lines, the farmer sows his grain, content to hear the murmuring pines instead of railroad train. Go where, along the tangled steep that slopes against the west, the hamlet's buried idlers sleep in still profounder rest. Throw back the locust's flowery plume, the birch's pale green scarf. And break the web of briar and bloom from name and epitaph. A simple muster roll of death, of pomp and romance shorn, the dry, old names that common breath has cheapened and outworn. Yet pause by one low mound, and part the wild vines o'er it laced, and read the words by rustic art upon its headstone traced. Haply, yon white haired villager of fourscore years can say what means the noble name of her who sleeps with common clay. An exile from the Gascon land found refuge here and rest, And loved, of all the village band, its fairest and its best. He knelt with her on Sabbath morns, he worshipped through her eyes, And on the pride that doubts and scorn stole in her faith's surprise. Her simple daily life he saw by homeliest duties tried, And all things by an untaught law of fitness justified. For her his rank aside he laid, He took the hue and tone of lowly life and toil, and made her simple ways his own. Yet still, in gay and careless ease, to harvest field or dance he brought the gentle courtesies, the nameless grace of France. And she who taught him love not less from him, she loved in turn caught in her sweet unconsciousness what love is quick to learn. Each grew to each in pleased accord, nor knew the gazing town if she looked upward to her lord or he to her looked down. How sweet, when summer's day was o'er, his violins mirth and wail, the walk on pleasant Newberry's shore, the river's moonlit sail. Ah! Life is brief, though love be long. The altar and the bier, the burial hymn and bridal song, were both in one short year. Her rest is quiet on the hill. Beneath the locust's bloom, far off her lover sleeps, as still within his scutcheon tomb. The Gascon lord, the village maid, in death still clasped their hands, the love that levels rank and grade unites their severed lands. WHAT MATTER WHO'S THE HILLSIDE GRAVE, OR WHO'S THE blazoned STONE, FOREVER TO HER WESTERN WAVE SHALL WHISPER BLUE GARAN, O LOVE, SO HALLOWING EVERY SOIL THAT GIVES THY SWEET FLOWER ROOM, WHEREVER, NURSED BY EASE OR TOIL, THE HUMAN HEART TAKES BLOOM, PLANT OF LOST EDEN, FROM THE SOD OF SINFUL EARTH UNRIVEN, WHITE BLOSSOM OF THE TREES OF GOD dropped DOWN TO US FROM HEAVEN, THIS TANGLED WASTE OF MOUND AND STONE IS HOLY FOR THY SAIL. A sweetness which is all thy own Breeze out from fern and brake, And while ancestral pride Shall twine the Gascon's tomb with flowers, Fall sweetly here, O song of mine, With summer's bloom and showers, And let the lines that severed seem Unite again in thee, As western wave and gallic stream Are mingled in one sea. 1863 Narrative and legendary poems by John Greenleaf Whittier Mabel Martin A harvest idol Proem I. The River Valley. 2. The Husking. 3. The Witch's Daughter. 4. The Champion. V. In the Shadow. 6. The Betrothal: The Prophecy of Samuel Sewell. The Red River Voyageur. The Preacher. The Truce of Piscataqua. My Playmate. Cobbler Keyser's Vision. Amy Wentworth. The Countess Mabel Martin. A Harvest Idol. Susanna Martin an aged woman of Amesbury, Massachusetts, was tried and executed for the alleged crime of witchcraft. Her home was in what is now known as Pleasant Valley on the Merrimack, a little above the old Ferry Way, where, tradition says, an attempt was made to assassinate Sir Edmund Andrus on his way to Falmouth, afterward Portland, and Pemaquid, which was frustrated by a warning timely given. Goody Martin was the only woman hanged on the north side of the Merrimack during the dreadful delusion. The aged wife of Judge Bradbury who lived on the other side of the Pau River was imprisoned and would have been put to death but for the collapse of the hideous persecution. The substance of the poem which follows was published under the name of the witch's daughter in the national era in 1857. In 1875 my publishers desired to issue it with illustrations, and I then enlarged it and otherwise altered it to its present form. The principal addition was in the verses which constitute part one. Proem. I call the old time back. I bring my lay in tender memory of the summer day when, where our native river lapsed away, we dreamed it over, while the thrushes made songs of their own, and the great pine trees laid on warm new lights the masses of their shade. And she was with us, living over again her life and ours, despite of years and pain. The autumn's brightness after latter rain, beautiful in her holy peace, as one who stands at evening when the work is done. Glorified in the setting of the sun, her memory makes our common landscape seem fairer than any of which painters dream lights the brown hills and sings in every stream. For she, whose speech was always truth's pure gold heard not unpleased, its simple legends told, and loved with us the beautiful and old, ay, the river valley, across the level tableland, a grassy, rarely trodden way within a skirt of birch and spray. And stunted growth of cedar leads to where you see the dull plain fall sheer off, steep, slanted, plowed by all the season's rainfalls. On its brink, the overleaning harebells swing with roots half bare. The pine trees cling, and through the shadow, looking west, you see the wavering river flow along a vale that far below holds to the sun. The sheltering hills and glimmering waterline between broad fields of corn and meadows green and fruit-bent orchards grouped around the low brown roofs and painted eaves, and chimney-tops half-hidden leaves. No warmer valley hides behind yon wind-scourged sand dunes, cold and bleak. No fairer river comes to seek the waves some welcome of the sea, or mark the northmost border line of sun-loved growths of nut and vine. Here, ground fast in their native fields, untempted by the city's gain, the quiet farmer-folk remain, who bear the pleasant name of friends, and keep their father's gentle ways and simple speech of Bible days, in whose need homestead's woman holds with modest ease her equal place, and wears upon her tranquil face. The look of one who, merging not her selfhood in another's will, is love's and duty's handmaid still. Pass with me down the path that winds through birches to the open land, where, close upon the river strand, you mark a cellar, vine o'erin. Above whose wall of loosened stones The sumach lifts its rending cones. And the black nightshade's berries shine, And broad, unsightly burdocks Fold the household ruin, century-old. Here, in the dim colonial time Of sterner lives and gloomier faith, A woman lived, tradition saith, Who wrought her neighbor's foul annoy, And witched and plagued the countryside, Till at the hangman's hand she died. Sit with me while the westering day Falls slantwise down the quiet vale and, haply ere yon loitering sail. That rounds the upper headland, falls below Deer island's pines, or sees behind it hawkswood's belt of trees. Rise black against the sinking sun, my idol of its days of old, the valley's legend, shall be told. Two, the husking. It was the pleasant harvest time, when cellar bins are closely stowed, and garrets bend beneath their load. And the old swallow-haunted barns, brown-gabled, long, and full of seams through which the rooted sunlight streams, and winds blow freshly in, to shake the red plumes of the roost cocks, and the loose haymows scented locks, are filled with summer's ripened stores, its odorous grass and barley sheaves, from their low scaffolds to their eaves. On Ezek Hardin's oaken floor, with many an autumn threshing worn, lay the heaped ears of unhust corn. And thither came young men and maids, beneath the moon that, large and low, lit that sweet eve of long ago. They took their places, some by chance, and others by a merry voice or sweet smile guided to their choice. How pleasantly the rising moon, between the shadow of the mows, looked on them through the great elm boughs. On sturdy boyhood, sun-embrowned, on girlhood with its solid curves of healthful strength and painless nerves. And jests went round, and laughs that made the house-dog answer with his howl. And kept astir the barnyard fowl, and quaint old songs their fathers sung in Derby Dales and Yorkshire Moors, ere Norman William trod their shores, and tales whose merry license shook the fat sides of the Saxon Thane, forgetful of the hovering Dane, rude plays to Celt and Cimbri known, the charms and riddles that beguiled on Oxus banks the young world's child, that primal picture speech wherein have youth and made the story told, so new in each, so dateless old. Recalling pastoral Ruth and her who waited, blushing and demure, the red ear's kiss of forfeiture. But still the sweetest voice was mute that River Valley ever heard from lips of maid or throat of bird. For Mabel Martin sat apart, and let the haymow's shadow fall upon the loveliest face of all. She sat apart, as one forbid, who knew that none would condescend to own the witch wife's child a friend. The seasons scarce had gone their round. SINCE CURIOUS THOUSANDS THRONGED TO SEE HER MOTHER AT THE GALLOW'S TREE, AND MOCKED THE PRISON-PALSIED LIMBS THAT FALTERED ON THE FATAL STAIRS, AND wan lip TREMBLING WITH ITS PRAYERS. FEW QUESTIONED OF THE SORROWING CHILD, OR, WHEN THEY SAW THE MOTHER DIE, DREAMED OF THE DAUGHTER'S AGONY. THEY WENT UP TO THEIR HOMES THAT DAY, AS MEN AND CHRISTIANS JUSTIFIED GOD WILLED IT, AND THE WRETCH HAD DIED. DEAR GOD AND FATHER OF US ALL, FORGIVE OUR FAITH IN CRUEL LIES, FORGIVE THE BLINDNESS THAT DENIES. FORGIVE THY CREATURE WHEN HE TAKES, FOR THE ALL-PERFECT LOVE THOU ART, SOME GRIM CREATION OF HIS HEART. CAST DOWN OUR IDOLS, OVERTURN OUR BLOODY altars. LET US SEE THYSELF IN THY HUMANITY. YOUNG MABEL FROM HER MOTHER'S GRAVE CREPT TO HER DESOLATE HEARTHSTONE, AND WRESTLED WITH HER FATE ALONE. WITH LOVE, AND ANGER, AND DESPAIR, THE PHANTOMS OF DISORDERED SENSE, THE AWFUL DOUBTS OF PROVIDENCE, Oh dreary broke the winter days and dreary fell the winter nights when one by one the neighboring lights went out and human sounds grew still and all the phantom people dark closed round her hearth fire's dying spark and summer days were sad and long and sad the uncompanioned eaves and sadder sunset tinted leaves and indian summer's airs of balm she scarcely felt the soft caress the beauty died of loneliness The schoolboys jeered her as they passed, And, when she sought the house of prayer, Her mother's curse pursued her there. And still o'er many a neighboring door She saw the horseshoe's curved charm To guard against her mother's harm. That mother, poor and sick and lame, Who daily, by the old armchair, Folded her withered hands in prayer, Who turned, in Salem's dreary jail, Her worn old Bible o'er and o'er, When her dim eyes could read no more, Sore tried and pained, The poor girl kept her faith, and trusted that her way, so dark, would somewhere meet the day. And still her weary wheel went round day after day, with no relief, small leisure have the poor for grief. 4. The Champion. So in the shadow Mabel sits, untouched by mirth she sees and hears, her smile is sadder than her tears. But cruel eyes have found her out, and cruel lips repeat her name, and taunt her with her mother's shame. She answered not with railing words, but drew her apron o'er her face, and sobbing glided from the place. And only pausing at the door, her sad eyes met the troubled gaze of one who, in her better days, had been her warm and steady friend, ere yet her mother's doom had made even Ezek Harden half afraid. He felt that mute appeal of tears, and starting, with an angry frown, hushed all the wicked murmurs down. Good neighbors mine, he sternly said. This passes harmless mirth or jest. I brook no insult to my guest. She is indeed her mother's child, but God's sweet pity ministers unto no whiter soul than hers. Let Goody Martin rest in peace. I never knew her harm a fly, and which or not God knows, not I. I know who swore her life away, and as God lives, I not condemn an Indian dog on word of them. The broadest lands in all the town, the skill to guide— the power to all were hardens, and his word was law. None dared withstand him to his face, But one sly maiden spake aside, The little witch's evil eyed Her mother only killed a cow, Or witched to churn or dairy pan, But she, forsooth, must charm a man. V. In the shadow. Per Mabel, homeward turning, passed the nameless terrors of the wood, And saw, as if a ghost pursued, Her shadow gliding in the moon. The soft breath of the west wind gave a chill as from her mother's grave. How dreary seemed the silent house. Wide in the moonbeam's ghastly glare its windows had a dead man's stare. And like a gaunt and spectral hand, the tremulous shadow of a birch reached out and touched the door's low porch. As if to lift its latch, hard by, a sudden warning call she beard the night cry of a boating bird. She leaned against the door, her face so fair. So young, so full of pain, White in the moonlight's silver rain. The river, on its pebbled rim, Made music such as childhood knew, The dooryard tree was whispered through, By voices such as childhood's ear Had heard in moonlight's long ago, And through the willow boughs below. She saw the rippled waters shine, Beyond, in waves of shade and light, The hills rolled off into the night. She saw and heard, But over all a sense of some transforming spell, the shadow of her sick heart fell. And still across the wooded space the harvest lights of hardened shone, and song and jest and laugh went on. And he, so gentle, true, and strong, of men the bravest and the best, had he, too, scorned her with the rest? She strove to drown her sense of wrong, and, in her old and simple way, to teach her bitter heart to pray. Poor child! The prayer, begun in faith, grew to a low, despairing cry of utter misery let me die. Oh, take me from the scornful eyes, and hide me where the cruel speech and mocking finger may not reach. I dare not breathe my mother's name, a daughter's right I dare not crave to weep above her unblessed grave. Let me not live until my heart, with few to pity, and with none to love me, hardens into stone. O oh God, have mercy on thy child, whose faith in thee grows weak and small, and take me ere I lose it all, a shadow on the moonlight fell, and murmuring wind and wave became a voice whose burden was her name. 6. The Betrothal Had then God heard her? Had he sent his angel down? In flesh and blood, before her Ezek Harden stood, he laid his hand upon her arm. Dear Mabel, this no more shall be. Who scoffs that you must scoff at me? You know rough Ezek Hardin well, and if he seems no suitor gay, and if his hair is touched with gray. The maiden grown shall never find his heart less warm than when she smiled, Upon his knees, a little child. Her tears of grief were tears of joy, As, folded in his strong embrace, she looked in Ezek Hardin's face. O truest friend of all, she said, God bless you for your kindly thought, and make me worthy of my lot. He led her forth, and Blent in one, Beside their happy pathway ran the shadows of the maid and man. He led her through his dewy fields, to where the swinging lanterns glowed, and through the doors the huskers showed. "'Good friends and neighbors,' Ezek said. "'I'm weary of this lonely life. Enable see my chosen wife.' "'She greets you kindly, one and all. The past is past, and all offense falls harmless from her innocence. Henceforth she stands no more alone. You know what Ezek Hardin is. He brooks no wrong to him or his. Now let the merriest tales be told.' and let the sweetest songs be sung that ever made the old heart young. For now the lost has found a home, and a lone hearth shall brighter burn, as all the household joys return. Oh, pleasantly the harvest moon, between the shadow of the mows, looked on them through the great elm, boughs. On Mabel's curls of golden hair, on Isaac's shaggy strength it fell, and the wind whispered, It is well! The Prophecy of Samuel Sewell The prose version of this prophecy is to be found in Sewell's The New Heaven Upon the New Earth, 1697, quoted in Joshua Coffin's History of Newberry. Judge Sewell's father, Henry Sewell, was one of the pioneers of Newberry. Up and down the village streets strange are the forms my fancy meets, for the thoughts and things of today are hid, and through the veil of a closed lid the ancient worthies I see again I hear the tap of the elder's cane, and his awful periwig I see and the silver buckles of shoe and knee. Stately and slow, with thoughtful air, his black cap hiding his whitened hair, walks the judge of the greatest size, Samuel Sewell the good and wise. His face with lines of firmness wrought, he wears the look of a man unbought, who swears to his hurt and changes not. Yet, touched and softened nevertheless with the grace of Christian gentleness, the face that a child would climb to kiss. True and tender and brave and just, That man might honor and woman trust. Touching and sad, a tale is told, like a penitent hymn of the psalmist old, of the fast which the good man lifelong kept to with a haunting sorrow that never slept, as the circling year brought round the time of an error that left the sting of crime, when he sat on the bench of the witchcraft courts with the laws of Moses and Hale's reports, and spake, in the name of both, the word that gave the witch's neck to the cord, and piled the oaken planks that pressed the feeble life from the warlock's breast. All the day long, from dawn to dawn, his door was bolted, his curtain drawn, no foot on his silent threshold trod, no eye looked on him save that of God, as he baffled the ghosts of the dead with charms of penitent tears, and prayers, and psalms, and with precious proofs from the sacred word of the boundless pity and love of the Lord, his faith confirmed and his trust renewed that the sin of his ignorance sorely rude. Might be washed away in the mingled flood of his human sorrow and Christ's dear blood. Green forever the memory be of the Judge of the old theocracy, whom even his heirs glorified like a far seen, sunlit mountainside by the cloudy shadows which o'er it glide. I honor and praise to the Puritan who the halting step of his age outran, and seeing the infinite worth of man in the priceless gift the Father gave, in the infinite love that stooped to save, dared not brand his brother a slave. Who doth such wrong? He was wont to say, in his own quaint, picture-loving way, flings up. To heaven a hand grenade which God shall cast down upon his head. Widely as heaven and hell, contrast that brave old jurist of the past and the cunning trickster and knave of courts who the holy features of truth distorts, ruling as right the will of the strong, poverty, crime, and weakness wrong, wider to power, to the wronged and weak deaf as Egypt's gods of leak. Scoffing aside at parties not order of nature and law of God, For of whose dabbled ermine respect were waste, Reverence folly, and awe misplaced. Justice of whom te were vain to seek as from, Cordish robber or Syrian sheik. Oh, leave the wretch to his bribes and sins, Let him rot in the web of lies he spins. To the saintly soul of the early day, To the Christian judge, let us turn and say, Praise and thanks for an honest man. Glory to God for the Puritan! I see, far southward, this quiet day, the hills of Newbury rolling away, with the many tints of the season gay, dreamily blending in autumn MIST crimson, and gold, and amethyst. Long and low, with dwarf trees crowned, Plum Island lies, like a whale aground, a stone's toss over the narrow sound. Inland, as far as the eye can go, the hills curve round like a bended bough, a silver arrow from out them sprung. I see the shine of the come, and round and round, over valley and hill, old roads winding, as old roads will, here to a ferry, and there to a mill, and glimpses of chimneys and gabled eaves, through green elm marches and maple leaves, old homesteads sacred to all that can gladden or sadden the heart of man, over whose thresholds of oak and stone life and death have come and gone. Their pictured tiles in the fireplace show, great beams sag from the ceiling low, the dresser glitters with polished wares, the long clock ticks on the footworn stairs, and the low, broad chimney shows the crack by the earthquake made a century back. Up from their midst springs the village spire with the crest of its cock and the sun afire, beyond our orchards and planting lands, and great salt marshes and glimmering sands, and where north and south the coastlines run, the blink of the sea and breeze and sun. I see it all like a chart unrolled, but my thoughts are full of the past and old. I hear the tales of my boyhood told, And the shadows and shapes of early days Flit dimly by in the veiling haze, With measured movement and rhythmic chime Leaving like shuttles my web of rhyme. I think of the old man wise and good Who once on yon misty hillside stood, A poet who never measured rhyme, A seer unknown to his dullard time, And propped on his staff of age, Looked down, with his boyhood's love, On his native town, where, written, As if on its hills and plains, his burden of prophecy yet remains, for the voices of wood, and wave, and wind to read in the ear of the musing mind. As long as Plum Island, to guard the coast as God appointed, shall keep its post. as long as a salmon shall haunt the deep of Merrimack River, or Sturgeon Leap, as long as pickerel swift and slim, or red-backed perch, in crane pond swim, as long as the annual sea-fowl know their time to come and their time to go, as long as cattle shall roam at will the green, Grass meadows by Turkey Hill. As long as sheep shall look from the side of Old Town Hill on Marish's Wide, and Parker River, and Salt Sea Tide. As long as a wandering pigeon shall search the fields below from his white oak perch, when the barley harvest is ripe and shorn, and the dry husks fall from the standing corn. As long as nature shall not grow old, nor drop her work from her doting hold, and her care for the Indian corn forget, and the yellow rose and pears to set. SO LONG SHALL CHRISTIANS HERE BE BORN, GROW UP AND RIPEN AS GOD'S SWEET CORN, BY THE BEAK OF BIRD, BY THE BREATH OF FROST, SHALL NEVER A HOLY EAR BE LOST, BUT, husked BY DEATH IN THE PLANTER'S SIGHT, BE SOWN AGAIN IN THE FIELDS OF LIGHT, THE ISLAND STILL IS PURPLE WITH PLUMS, UP THE RIVER THE SALMON COMES, THE sturgeon LEAPS, AND THE WILD fowl FEEDS ON HILLSIDE BERRIES AND MARISH SEEDS, ALL THE BEAUTIFUL SIGNS REMAIN from springtime sowing to autumn rain the good man's vision returns again. And let us hope, as well we can, that the silent angel who garners man may find some grain as of old lie found in the human cornfield ripe and sound, and the lord of the harvest deign to own the precious seed by the father sown. 1859. The Red Riper Voyageur. Out and in the river is winding the links of its long, red chain, through belts of dusky pine land and gusty leagues of plain. Only, at times, a smoke wreath with the drifting cloud-rack joins the smoke of the hunting lodges of the wild Assiniboines. Drearily blows the north wind from the land of ice and snow. The eyes that look are weary, and heavy the hands that row. And with one foot on the water, and one upon the shore, the angel of shadow gives warning that day shall be no more. Is it the clang of wild geese? Is it the Indian's yell, that lends to the voice of the north wind the tones of a far-off bell? The voyageur smiles as he listens to the sound that grows apace, while he knows the vesper ringing of the bells of St. Boniface. The bells of the Roman mission, that call from their turrets twain, to the boatman on the river, to the hunter on the plain. Even so in our mortal journey the bitter north winds blow, and thus upon life's red river our hearts, as oarsmen, row. And when the angel of shadow rests his feet on wave and shore, and our eyes grow dim with watching and our hearts faint at the oar, happy is he who heareth the signal of his release in the bells of the holy city, the chimes of eternal peace. 1859. The Preacher. George Whitefield, the celebrated preacher, died at Newburyport in 1770, and was buried under the church which has since borne his name. Its windows flashing to the sky, beneath a thousand roofs of brown, far down the vale, my friend and I beheld the old and quiet town. The ghostly sails that out at sea flap their white wings of mystery, the beaches glimmering in the sun, and the low wooded capes that run into the sea mist north and south, the sand bluffs at the river's mouth, the swinging chain bridge, and afar, the foam line of the harbor bar. Over the woods and meadowlands a crimson-tinted shadow lay, of clouds through which the setting day flung a slant glory far away. It glittered on the wet sea sands, it flamed upon the city's panes, smote the white sails of ships that wore outward o'er in, and glided o'er the steeples with their veering vanes. Awhile, my friend, with rapid search o'er in the landscape. Yonder spire over grey roofs, a shaft of fire, what is it, pray? The Whitefield Church. Walled about by its basement stones, there rest the marvelous prophet's bones. Then, as our homeward way we walked, of the great preacher's life we talked, and through the mystery of our theme the outward glory seemed to stream, and nature self-interpreted the doubtful record of the dead, and every level beam that smote the sails upon the dark afloat a symbol of the light became, which touched the shadows of our blame, with tongues of Pentecostal flame. Over the roofs of the pioneers gathers the moss of a hundred years. On man and his works has passed the change which needs must be in a century's range. The land lies open and warm in the sun, andals clamor and mill wheels run, Flocks on the hillsides, Herds on the plain, The wilderness gladdened with fruit and grain. But the living faith of the settlers Old the dead profession their children hold, To the lust of office and greed of trade A stepping-stone is the altar made. The church, to place and power the door, Rebukes the sin of the world no more, Nor sees its lord in the homeless poor. Everywhere is the grasping hand, an eager adding of land to land, an earth, which seemed to the fathers meant but as a pilgrim's wayside tent, a nightly shelter to fold away when the Lord should call at the break of day, solid and steadfast seems to be, and time has forgotten eternity. But fresh and green from the rotting roots of primal forests the young growth shoots, from the death of the old the new proceeds, and the life of truth from the rod of creeds on the ladder of God, which upward leads, the steps of progress are human needs. For his judgments still are a mighty deep, And the eyes of his providence never sleep When the night is darkest he gives the morn, When the famine is sorest, the wine and corn. In the church of the wilderness Edwards wrought, Shaping his creed at the forge of thought, And with Thor's own hammer welded And bent the iron links of his argument, Which strove to grasp in its mighty span The purpose of God and the fate of man yet faithful still, In his daily round to the weak, and the poor, And it found... The schoolman's lore and the casuists' art drew warmth and life from his fervent heart. Had he not seen in the solitudes of his deep and dark Northampton woods a vision of love about him fall? Not the blinding splendor which fell on Saul, but the tenderer glory that rests on them who walk in the new Jerusalem, where never the sun nor moon are known, but the Lord and his love are the light alone and watching the sweet, still countenance of the wife of his bosom wrapped in trance, had he not treasured each broken word of the mystical wonder seen and heard, and loved the beautiful dreamer more that thus to the desert of earth she bore clusters of Eshkal from Canaan's shore? As the barley winnor, holding with pain aloft and waiting his chaff and grain, joyfully welcomes the far-off breeze sounding the pine-tree's slender keys, so he who had waited long to hear the sound of the spirit drawing near, like that which the son of Ido heard when the feet of angels the myrtle stirred, felt the answer of prayer, at last, As over his church the afflatus passed, breaking its sleep as breezes break to sunbright ripples a stagnant lake. At first, a tremor of silent fear, the creep of the flesh at danger near, a vague foreboding and discontent, over the hearts of the people went. All nature warned in sounds and signs, the wind in the tops of the forest pines in the name of the highest called to prayer, as the muezzin calls from the minaret stair. Through sealed chambers of secrets, since sudden and strong the light shone in, A guilty sense of his neighbor's needs startled the man of title deeds. The trembling hand of the worldling shook the dust of years from the holy book, and the Psalms of David, forgotten long, took the place of the scoffer's song. The impulse spread like the outward course of waters moved by a central force. The tide of spiritual life rolled down from inland mountains to seaboard town. Prepared and ready the altar stands waiting the prophet's outstretched hands and prayer availing to downward call the fiery answer in view of all. HEARTS ARE LIKE WAX IN THE FURNACE, WHO SHALL MOLD, AND SHAPE, AND CAST THEM ANEW. LO, BY THE Merrimack WHITEFIELD STANDS IN THE TEMPLE THAT NEVER WAS MADE BY HANDS, CURTAINS OF AZURE, AND CRYSTAL WALL, AND DOME OF THE SUNSHINE OVER ALL, A HOMELESS PILGRIM, WITH DUBIOUS NAME BLOWN ABOUT ON THE WINDS OF FAME, NOW AS AN ANGEL OF BLESSING CLASSED, AND NOW AS A MAD ENTHUSIAST, CALLED IN HIS YOUTH TO SOUND AND GAGE THE MORAL LAPSE OF HIS RACE AND AGE and sharp as truth, the contrast draw of human frailty and perfect law. Possessed by the one dread thought that lent its goad to his fiery temperament, up and down the world he went, a John the Baptist crying, repent. No perfect hole can our nature make, here or there the circle will break. The orb of life as it takes the light on one side leaves the other in night. Never was saint so good and great as to give no chance at S.T. Peter's gate for the plea of the devil's advocate. So, incomplete by his being's law, the marvellous preacher had his flaw, was step unequal, and lame with faults, his shade on the path of history halts. Wisely and well said the eastern bard fear is easy, but love is hard, easy to glow with the santan's rage, and walk on the Meccan pilgrimage, but he is greatest and best who can worship Allah by loving man. Thus he, to whom, in the painful stress of zeal on fire from its own excess, Heaven seemed so vast and earth so small that man was nothing, since God was all, forgot, as the best at times have done, that the love of the Lord and of man are one. Little to him whose feet unshod the thorny path of the desert trod, careless of pain, so it led to God, seemed the hunger pang and the poor man's wrong, the weak ones trodden beneath the strong. Should the worm be chooser, the clay withstand the shaping will of the potter's hand? In the Indian fable Arjuna hears the scorn of a god rebuke his fears. Spare thy pity, Krishna saith. Not in thy sword is the power of death. All is illusion, lost but seems. Pleasure and pain are only dreams. Who deems he slayeth doth not kill. Who counts as slain is living still. Strike, nor fear thy blow is crime. Nothing dies but the cheats of time. Slain or slayer, small the odds to each. Immortal as Indra's gods. So by savannah's banks of shade, the stones of his mission the preacher laid on the heart of the negro crushed and rent, and made of his blood the wall's cement, bade the slave ship speed from coast to coast, fanned by the wings of the Holy Ghost, and begged, for the love of Christ, the gold coined from the hearts in its groaning hold. What could it matter, more or less of stripes, and hunger, and weariness? Living or dying, bond or free, what was time to eternity? Alas for the preacher's cherished schemes! Mission and church are now but dreams, nor prayer nor fasting availed the plan to honor God through the wrong of man. Of all his labors, no trace remains save the bondman lifting his hands in chains. The woof he wove in the righteous warp of freedom loving Oglethorpe, clothes with curses the goodly land, changes its greenness and bloom to sand, and a century's lapse reveals once more the slave ship stealing to Georgia's shore. Father of light, How blind is he who sprinkles the altar he rears to thee with the blood and tears of humanity! He erred, Shall we count his gifts as naught? Was the work of God in him unwrought? The servant may through his deafness err, and blind may be God's messenger. But the errand is sure they go upon, the word is spoken, the deed is done. Was the Hebrew temple less fair and good that Solomon bowed to gods of wood? For his tempted heart and wandering feet— were the songs of David less pure and sweet? So in light and shadow the preacher went, God's erring and human instrument, and the hearts of the people where he passed swayed as the reeds sway in the blast, under the spell of a voice which took in its compass the flow of Siloa's brook, and the mystical chime of the bells of gold on the ephod's hem of the priest of old, now the roll of thunder, and now the awe of the trumpet heard in the mount of law. A solemn fear on the listening crowd fell like the shadow of a cloud, the sailor reeling from out the ships whose masts stood thick in the river slips felt the jest and the curse die on his lips. Listened the fisherman rude and hard, the cocker rough from the builder's yard. The man of the market left his load, the teamster leaned on his bending goad, the maiden, and youth beside her, felt their hearts in a closer union melt, and saw the flowers of their love and bloom down the endless vistas of life to come. Old age sat feebly brushing away from his ears the scanty locks of gray. And careless boyhood, living the free, unconscious life of bird and tree, suddenly wakened to a sense of sin and its guilty consequence. It was as if an angel's voice called the listeners up for their final choice, as if a strong hand rent apart the veils of sense from soul and heart, showing in light ineffable the joys of heaven and woes of hell all about in the misty air the hills seemed kneeling in silent prayer. The rustle of leaves, the moaning sedge, the water's lap on its graveled edge, the wailing pines, and far and faint, the wood dove's note of sad complaint, to the solemn voice of the preacher lent an undertone as of low lament, and the note of the sea from its sand coast on the easterly wind, now heard, now lost, seemed the murmurous sound of the judgment host. Yet wise men doubted, and good men wept, as that storm of passion above them swept, and comet like, adding flame to flame, the priests of the new evangel came, Davenport. Flashing upon the crowd, charged like summer's electric cloud, now holding the listener still as death with terrible warnings under breath, now shouting for joy, as if he viewed the vision of heaven's beatitude. And Celtic tenant, his long coat bound like a monk's with leathern girdle round, wild with the toss of unshorn hair, and wringing of hands, and eyes aglare, groaning under the world's despair, grave pastors, grieving their flocks to lose prophesied to the empty pews that gourds would wither, and mushrooms die, and noisiest fountains run soonest dry, like the spring that gushed in Newberry Street, under the tramp of the earthquake's feet, a silver shaft in the air and light, for a single day, then lost in night, leaving only, its place to tell, sandy fissure and sulfurous smell, with zeal wink clipped and white heat cool, moved by the spirit and grooves of rule, no longer harried, and cropped, And fleeced, flogged by sheriff and cursed by priest, but by wiser counsels left at ease to settle quietly on his lees, and self-concentred, to count as done the work which his father's well begun, in silent protest of letting alone, the Quaker kept the way of his own, a non-conductor among the wires, with coat of asbestos proof to fires. And quite unable to mend his pace to catch the falling manna of grace, he hugged the closer his little store of faith, and silently prayed for more. And vague of creed and barren of right, but holding, as in his master's sight, act and thought to the inner light, the round of his simple duties walked, and strove to live what the others talked. And who shall marvel if evil went step by step with the good intent, and with love and meekness, side by side, lust of the flesh and spiritual pride, that passionate longings and fancies vain set the heart on fire and crazed the brain, that over the holy oracle's folly sported with cap and bells, that goodly women and learned men marveling told with tongue and pen how unweaned children chirp like birds texts of scripture and solemn words, like the infant seers of the rocky glens in the Puy de Dome of wild savans or baby llamas who pray and preach from tartar cradles and Buddha's speech, in the war which truth or freedom wages with impious fraud and the wrong of ages, hate and malice and self-love mar the notes of triumph with painful jar, and the helping angels turn aside their sorrowing faces the shame to bide. Never on customs oiled grooves the world to a higher level moves, but grates and grinds with friction hard on granite boulder and flinty shard. The heart must bleed before it feels, the pool be troubled before it heals. Ever by losses the right must gain, every good have its birth of pain. The active virtues blush to find the vices wearing their badge behind, and graces and charities feel the fire wherein the sins of the age expire. The fiend still rends as of old he rent the tortured body from which he went but time tests all. In the overdrift and flow of the Nile, with its annual gift, who cares for the haji's relics sunk? Who thinks of the drowned-out Coptic monk? The tide that loosens the temple's stones and scatters the sacred ibis bones drives away from the valley land that Arab robber. The wandering sand moistens the fields that know no rain, fringes the desert with belts of grain, and bread to the sower brings again. So the flood of emotion deep and strong troubled the land as it swept along, but left a result of holier lives, tenderer mothers and worthier wives. The husband and father whose children fled and sad wife wept when his drunken tread frightened peace from his roof-tree's shade, and a rock of offense his hearthstone made, in a strength that was not his own began to rise from the brutes to the plain of man. Old friends embraced, long held apart by evil counsel and pride of heart, and penitence saw through misty tears, in the bow of hope on its cloud of fears, the promise of heaven's eternal years, the peace of God for the world's annoy, beauty for ashes, and oil of joy under the church of Federal Street, under the tread of its Sabbath feet, walled about by its basement stones, lie the marvelous preacher's bones. No saintly honors to them are shown, no sign nor miracle have they known. But Bivu passes the ancient church stops in the shade of its belfry porch, and ponders the wonderful life of him who lies at rest in that charnel dim. Long shall the traveller strain his eye from the railroad car, as it plunges by, and the vanishing town behind him search for the slender spire of the Whitefield church, and feel for one moment the ghosts of trade, and fashion, and folly, and pleasure laid, by the thought of that life of pure intent, that voice of warning yet eloquent, of one on the errands of angels sent." and if where he labored the flood of sin like a tide from the harbour bar sets in, and over a life of tune and sense the church spires lift their vain defence, as if to scatter the bolts of God with the points of Calvin's thunder rod, still, as the gem of its civic crown, precious beyond the world's renown, his memory hallows the ancient town. 1859. The Truce of Piscataqua. In the winter of 1675-76, the eastern Indians, who had been making war upon the New Hampshire settlements, were so reduced in numbers by fighting and famine that they agreed to a peace with Major Waldron at Dover, but the peace was broken in the fall of 1676. The famous chief, Squando, was the principal negotiator on the part of the savages. He had taken up the hatchet to revenge the brutal treatment of his child by drunken white sailors, which caused its death. It not unfrequently happened during the border wars that young white children were adopted by their Indian captors, and so kindly treated that they were unwilling to leave the free, wild life of the woods, and in some instances they utterly refused to go back with their parents to their old homes and civilization. Raise these long blocks of brick and stone, these huge mill monsters overgrown. Blot out the humbler piles as well, where, moved like living shuttles, dwell the weaving genii of the bell. Tear from the wild Kachecos track the dams that hold its torrents back, and let the loud rejoicing fall plunge, roaring, down its rocky wall, and let the Indians paddle play on the unbridged Piscataqua. Wide over hill and valley spread once more the forest, dust and dread, with here and there a clearing cut from the walled shadows round it shut, each with its farmhouse builded rude, by English yeomen squared and hewed, and the grim, flankered blockhouse bound with bristling palisades around. So, haply shall before thine eyes the dusty veil of centuries rise, The old, strange scenery overlaid the tamer pictures of today, while, like the actors in a play, pass in their ancient guise along the figures of my border song, what time beside Kacheco's flood the white man and the red man stood, with words of peace and brotherhood, when past the sacred calumet from lip to lip with fire draught wet, and puffed in scorn. The peace pipe smoke through the grey beard of Waldron broke, and Squando's voice, in suppliant plea for mercy, struck the haughty key of one who held, in any fate, his native pride inviolate. Let your ears be opened wide. He who speaks has never lied. Waldron of Piscataqua, hear what Squando has to say. Squando shuts his eyes and sees, far off, Sacco's hemlock trees. In his wigwam, still as stone, sits a woman all alone. Wampum beads and birch and strands Dropping from her careless hands, Listening ever for the fleet patter Of a dead child's feet. When the moon a year ago Told the flowers the time to blow, And that lonely wigwam smiled Minui, Our little child. Ere that moon grew thin and old, He was lying still and cold, Sent before us, weak and small, When the master did not call. On his little grave I lay, Three times went and came the day, Thrice above me blazed the noon, Thrice upon me wept the moon. In the third night watch I heard, Far and low, a spirit bird, Very mournful, very wild, Sang the totem of my child. Menui, poor Menui, Walks a path he cannot see Let the white man's wigwam light With its blaze his steps aright. All uncalled, he dares not show empty hands To manito better gifts he cannot bear Than the scalps his slayers wear. All the while the totem sang, Lightning blazed and thunder rang, And a black cloud, "'Reaching high, pulled the white moon from the sky. "'I, the medicine man, whose ear all that spirits bear can hear, "'I, whose eyes are wide to see all the things that are to be. "'Well, I knew the dreadful signs in the whispers of the pines, "'in the river roaring loud, in the mutter of the cloud. "'At the breaking of the day, from the grave I passed away. "'Flowers bloomed round me, birds sang glad, "'but my heart was hot and mad. "'There is rust on Squando's knife,' From the warm, red springs of life, On the funeral hemlock trees many a scalp the totem sees. Blood for blood. But evermore Squando's heart is sad and sore, And his poor squaw waits at home for the feet that never come. Waldron of Cacheco, here! Squando speaks, who laughs at fear. Take the captives he has tain. Let the land have peace again. As the words died on his tongue, Wide apart his warriors swung, parted, At the sign he gave, right and left, like Egypt's wave. And like Israel passing free through the prophet-charmed sea, Captive mother, wife, and child through the dusky terror filed. One alone, a little maid, middleway her steps delayed, Glancing, with quick, troubled sight, round about from red to white. Then his hand the Indian laid on the little maiden's head, Lightly from her forehead fair, smoothing back her yellow hair. Gift or favor ask I none. What I have is all my own, never yet the birds have sung, squando hath a beggar's tongue. Yet for her who waits at home, for the dead who cannot come, let the little gold hair be in the place of Menui. Miss Hannock, my little star! Come to Sacco's Pines afar, where the sad one waits at home, we quash him, my moonlight, come. What? Quoth Waldron. Leave a child Christian born to Heathen's wild? As God lives, from Satan's hand I will pluck her as a bran. Hear me, white man, Squando cried. Let the little one decide. We quash him my moonlight, say, Wilt thou go with me, or stay? Slowly, sadly, half afraid, half regretfully, the maid owned the ties of blood and race, turned from Squando's pleading face. Not a word the Indian spoke, but his wampum chain he broke, and the beaded wonder hung on that neck so fair and young. Silence shod, as phantoms seem in the marches of a dream, single-filed, the grim array through the pine trees wound away. Doubting, trembling, sore amazed, through her tears the young child gazed. God preserve her, Waldron said. Satan hath bewitched a maid. Years went and came. At close of day singing came a child from play, tossing from her loose-locked head gold in sunshine, brown in shade. Pride was in the mother's look— but her head she gravely shook, and with lips that fondly smiled feigned to chide her truant child. Unabashed, the maid began. Up and down the brook I ran, where, beneath the bank so steep, lie the spotted trout asleep. Chip went squirrel on the wall, after me I heard him call, and the catbird on the tree tried his best to mimic me. Where the hemlocks grew so dark that I stopped to look and hark, on a log, with feather hat, by the path an Indian sat. Then I cried and ran away, but he called and bade me stay, and his voice was good and mild as my mother's to her child. And he took my wampum chain, looked and looked it o'er again, gave me berries, and beside, on my neck a plaything tied. Straight the mother stooped to see what the Indian's gift might be. On the braid of wampum hum, lo, a cross of silver swung. Well, she knew its graven sign, Squando's bird and totem pine. And a mirage of the brain flowed her childhood back again. Flashed the roof, the sunshine through, into space the walls outgrew. On the Indian's wigwam mat, blossom crowned, again she sat. Cool she felt the west wind blow, in her ear the pines sang low, and like links from out a chain dropped the years of care and pain. From the outward toil and din, from the griefs that gnaw within, to the freedom of the woods called the birds, and winds, and floods. Well, O painful minister! Watch thy flock, but blame not her, If her ear grew sharp to hear All their voices whispering near. Blame her not, as to her soul All the desert's glamour stole, That a tear for childhood's loss Dropped upon the Indian's cross. When, that night, the book was read, And she bowed her widowed head, And a prayer for each loved name Rose like incense from a flame. With a hope the creeds forbid In her pitying bosom hid, To the listening ear of heaven low, THE INDIAN'S NAME WAS GIVEN 1860 MY PLAYMATE THE PINES WERE DARK ON RAMOTH HILL, THEIR SONG WAS SOFT AND LOW, THE BLOSSOMS IN THE SWEET MAY WIND WERE FALLING LIKE THE SNOW, THE BLOSSOMS DRIFTED AT OUR FEET, THE ORCHARD BIRDS SANG CLEAR, THE SWEETEST AND THE SADDEST DAY IT SEEMED OF ALL THE YEAR, FOR MORE TO ME THAN BIRDS OR FLOWERS, MY PLAYMATE LEFT HER HOME, AND TOOK WITH HER THE LAUGHING SPRING, THE MUSIC AND THE BLOOM. She kissed the lips of kith and kin, she laid her hand in mine what more could ask the bashful boy who fed her father's kine. She left us in the bloom of may the constant years told o'er their seasons with as sweet may morns. but she came back no more. I walk, with noiseless feet, the round of uneventful years, still o'er and o'er I sow the spring and reap the autumn years. She lives where all the golden year her summer roses blow, the dusky children of the sun before her come and go. There haply, with her jeweled hand she smooths her silken gown, no more the homespun lap wherein I shook the walnuts down. The wild grapes wait us by the brook, the brown nuts on the hill, and still the mayday flowers make sweet the woods of Falino. The lilies blossom in the pond, the bird builds in the tree, the dark pines sing on Ramoth hill the slow song of the sea. I wonder if she thinks of them, and how the old time seems, if ever the pines of Ramoth wood are sounding in her dreams. I see her face, I hear her voice. Does she remember mine? And what to her is now the boy who fed her father's kine? What cares she that the orioles build for other eyes than ours, that other hands with nuts are filled, and other laps with flowers? O oh, playmate in the golden time! Our mossy seed is green, its fringing violets blossom yet, the old trees o'er it lean. The winds so sweet with birch and fern a sweeter memory blow. And there in spring the very sing the song of long ago. And still the pines of would are moaning like the sea. The moaning of the sea of change between myself and thee. 1860. Cobbler-Keyser's Vision. This ballad was written on the occasion of a horticultural festival. Cobbler-Keyser was a noted character among the first settlers in the valley of the Merrimack. The beaver cut his timber with patient teeth that day. The minks were fish wards and the crows surveyors of highway. When Kesar sat on the hillside upon his cobbler's form, with a pan of coals on either hand to keep his wax ends warm, and there, in the golden weather, he stitched and hammered and sung, in the brook he moistened his leather, in the pewter mug his tongue. Well knew the tough old Teuton who brewed the stoutest ale, and he paid the goodwife's reckoning in the coin of song and tale. The songs they still are singing who dress the hills of vine, the tales that haunt the brocken and whisper down the Rhine. Woodsy and wild and lonesome, the swift stream wound away, through birches and scarlet maples flashing in foam and spray. Down on the sharp-horned ledges plunging in steep cascade, tossing its white-maned waters against the hemlock's shade. Woodsy and wild and lonesome, east and west and north and south, only the village of fishers down at the river's mouth. Only here and there a clearing, with its farmhouse rude and new, and tree-stumps, sward as Indians, where the scanty harvest grew. No shout of homebound reapers, no vintage song he heard, and on the green no dancing feet the merry violins stirred. Why should folk be glum? said Keeser, when nature herself is glad, and the painted woods are laughing at the faces so sour and sad? Small he'd had the careless cobbler what sorrow of heart was theirs who travailed in pain with the births of God, and planted a state with prayers. Hunting of witches and warlocks, smiting the heathen horde, One hand on the mason's trowel, and one on the soldier's sword. But give him his ale and cider, give him his pipe and song, Little he cared for church or state, or the balance of right and wrong. Tea is work, 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 he muttered, and for rest a snuffle of psalms. He smote on his leathern apron with his brown and waxen palms. Oh, for the purple harvest of the days when I was young, for the merry grape stained maidens, and the pleasant songs they sung. Oh, for the breath of vineyards, of apples and nuts and wine, for an oar to row and a breeze to blow down the grand old river Rhine. A tear in his blue eye glistened and dropped on his beard so grey. Old, old am I, said Kieser, and the Rhine flows far away. But a cunning man was the cobbler. He could call the birds from the trees, charm the black snake out of the ledges and bring back the swarming bees. All the virtues of herbs and metals, all the lore of the woods, he knew, and the arts of the old world mingle with the marvels of the new. Well, he knew the tricks of magic, and the lapstone on his knee had the gift of the Mormon's goggles or the stone of Dr. D. 11. For the mighty master Agrippa wrought it with spell and rhyme from a fragment of mystic moonstone in the tower of Nettishim. To a cobbler Minzinger the marvelous stone gave he, and he gave it, in turn, to Kieser, who brought it over the sea. He held up that mystic lapstone, he held it up like a lens, and he counted the long years coming EY-20s and by 10s. One hundred years, quoth Kieser, and fifty have I told now open the new before me, and shut me out the old. Like a cloud of mist, the blackness rolled from the magic stone, and a marvelous picture mingled the unknown and the known. Still ran the stream to the river, and river and ocean joined and there were the bluffs and the blue sea-line, and cold north hills behind. But the mighty forest was broken by many a steeple-town, by many a white-walled farmhouse, and many a garner-brown. Turning a score of mill-wheels, the stream no more ran free. White sails on the winding river, white sails on the far-off sea. Below in the noisy village the flags were floating gay, and shone on a thousand faces the light of a holiday. Swiftly the rival ploughmen turned the brown earth from their shares. Here were the farmers' treasures, there were the craftsmen's wares. Golden the goodwife's butter, ruby her currant wine, Grand were the strutting turkeys, fat were the beeves and swine. Yellow and red were the apples, and the ripe pears russet-brown, And the peaches had stolen blushes from the girls who shook them down. And with blooms of hill and wildwood, that shamed the toil of art, Mingled the gorgeous blossoms of the garden's tropic heart. What is it I see, said Kieser, am I here, or am I there? Is it a fate at Bingen? Do I look on Frankfurt Fair? But where are the clowns and puppets, and imps with horns and tail? And where are the rhenish flagons? And where is the foaming ale? Strange things, I know, will happen, strange things the Lord permits. But that droughty folk should be jolly puzzles my poor old wits. Here are smiling manly faces, and the maiden's step is gay. Nor sad by thinking, nor mad by drinking, nor mopes, nor fools, are they. Here's pleasure without regretting, and good without abuse, the holiday and the bridal of beauty and abuse. Here's a priest and there is a Quaker, do the cat and dog agree? Have they burned the stocks for Overwood? Have they cut down the gallows tree? Would the old folk know their children? Would they own the graceless town, with never a ranter to worry and never a witch to drown? Loud laughed the cobbler-keezer, laughed like a schoolboy gay. Tossing his arms above him, the lapstone rolled away. It rolled down the rugged hillside, it spun like a wheel bewitched, it plunged through the leaning willows, and into the river pitched. There, in the deep, dark water, the magic stone lies still, under the leaning willows in the shadow of the hill. But off the idle fisher sits on the shadowy bank, and his dreams make marvelous pictures where the wizard's lapstone sank. And still, in the summer twilights, when the river seems to run out from the inner glory, warm with the melted sun, the weary mill girl lingers beside the charmed stream, and the sky and the golden waters shape and color her dream. Ere wave the sunset gardens, the rosy signals fly, her homestead beckons from the cloud, and love goes sailing by. 1861. Amy Wentworth to William Bradford. As they who watch by sick beds find relief unwittingly from the great stress of grief and anxious care, in fantasies out from the hearth's embers flickering low, or caught from whispering wind, or tread of passing feet, or vagrant memory calling up some sweet snatch of old song or romance, whence or why they scarcely know or ask, so thou and I, nursed in the faith that truth alone is strong in the endurance which outwearies wrong, with meek persistence baffling brutal force, and, Trusting God against the universe, we, doomed to watch a strife we may not share with other weapons than the patriot's prayer, yet owning, with full hearts and moistened eyes, the awful beauty of self sacrifice, and wrung by keenest sympathy for all who give their loved ones for the living wall twixt law and treason, in this evil day may haply find, through automatic play of pen and pencil, solace to our pain, and hearten others with the strength we gain. I know it has been said our times require no play of art, nor dalliance with the lyre, no weak essay with fancy's chloroform to calm the hot, mad pulses of the storm, but the stern war blasts rather, such as sets the battle's teeth of serried bayonets, and pictures grim as vernays. Yet with these some softer tints may blend, and milder keys relieve the storm's stunned ear. Let us keep sweet, if so we may, our hearts, even while we eat the bitter harvest of our own device and half a century's moral cowardice. As Nürnberg sang while Wittenberg defied, and Cranick painted by his Luther's side, and through the warm march of the Puritan the silver stream of Marvel's music ran, so let the household melodies be sung, the pleasant pictures on the wall be hum, so let us hold against the hosts of night and slavery all our vantage-ground of light. Let treason boast its savagery, and shake from its flag-folds its symbol rattlesnake, nurse its fine arts, lay human skins in tan, and carve its pipe-bowls from the bones of man, and make the tale of Fijian banquets dull by drinking whiskey from a loyal skull. But let us guard, till this sad war shall cease, God grant it soon, the graceful arts of peace no foes are conquered who the victors teach their vandal manners and barbaric speech. And while, with hearts of thankfulness, we bear of the great common burden our full share, Let none upbraid us that the waves entice thy sea dipped pencil, Or some quaint device, rhythmic, and sweet, Beguiles my pen away from the sharp strifes and sorrows of today. Thus, while the east wind keen from Labrador sings at the leafless elms, And from the shore of the great sea comes the monotonous roar of the long-breaking surf, And all the sky is grey with cloud, homebound and dull, I try to time a simple legend to the sounds of winds in the woods and waves on pebbled bounds, a song for oars to chime with, such as might be sung by tired sea painters, who at night look from their hemlock camps, by quiet cove or beach, moonlighted on the waves they love. So hast thou looked, when level sunset lay on the calm bosom of some eastern bay, and all the spray-moist rocks and waves that rolled up the white sand-slopes flashed with ruddy gold, something it has, a flavor of the sea, and the sea's freedom, which reminds of thee. Its faded picture, dimly smiling down from the blurred fresco of the ancient town, I have not touched with warmer tints in vain, If, in this dark, sad year, it steals one thought from pain. Her fingers shame the ivory keys they dance so light along, The bloom upon her parted lips is sweeter than the song. O perfume suitor, spare thy smiles! Her thoughts are not of thee, she better loves the salted wind, The voices of the sea. Her heart is like an outbound ship that at its anchor swings. The murmur of the stranded shell is in the song she sings. She sings, and smiling, hears her praise, but dreams the while of one who watches from his sea-blown deck the icebergs in the sun. She questions all the winds that blow, and every fog-wreath dim, and bids the seabirds flying north bear messages to him. She speeds them with the thanks of men he periled life to save, and grateful prayers like holy oil to smooth for him the wave. Brown Viking of the fishing smack. Fair toast of all the town, the skipper's jerkin ill beseems the lady's silken gown. But ne'er shall Amy Wentworth wear for him the blush of shame who dares to set his manly gifts against her ancient name. The stream is brightest at its spring, and blood is not like wine, nor honoured less than he who errs is he who founds a line. Full lightly shall the prize be won, if love be fortune's spur, and never maiden stoops to him who lifts himself to her. Her home is brave in Jaffrey Street, with stately stairways worn by feet of old colonial knights and ladies gentleborn. Still green about its ample porch, the English ivy twines, trained back to show in English oak the herald's carven signs. And on her, from the wainscot old, ancestral faces frown, and this has worn the soldier's sword, and that the judge's gown. But strong of will and proud as they, she walks the gallery floor as if she trod her sailor's deck by stormy Labrador. The sweet briar blooms on Kittery side, and green are Elliot's bowers, her garden is the pebbled beach, the mosses are her flowers. She looks across the harbor bar to see the white gulls fly. His greeting from the northern sea is in their clanging cry. She hums a song, and dreams that he, as in its romance old, shall homeward ride with silken sails and masts of beaten gold. Oh, rank is good, and gold is fair, and high and low mate ill. But love has never known a law beyond its own sweet will. 1862. The Countess. T. W. I inscribed this poem to Dr. Elias Weld of Haverhill, Massachusetts, to whose kindness I was much indebted in my boyhood. He was the one cultivated man in the neighborhood. His small but well-chosen library was placed at my disposal. He is the wise old doctor of Snowbound. Count Francois de Vipart with his cousin Joseph Rochemont de Poin came to the United States in the early part of the present century. They took up their residence at Rock's Village on the Merrimack, where they both married. The wife of Count Vipart was Mary Ingalls, who as my father remembered her was a very lovely young girl. Her wedding dress, as described by a lady still living, was pink satin with an overdress of white lace and white satin slippers. She died in less than a year after her marriage. Her husband returned to his native country. He lies buried in the family tomb of the Viparts at Bordeaux. I know not, time and space so intervene, Whether, still waiting with a trust serene, Thou bearest up thy fourscore years and ten, Or, called at last, art now heaven's citizen. But here or there, a pleasant thought of thee, Like an old friend, all day has been with me. The shy, still boy, for whom thy kindly hand smoothed his hard pathway to the wonderland of thought and fancy, in grey manhood yet keeps green the memory of his early debt. Today, when truth and falsehood speak their words through hot-lip cannon and the teeth of swords, listening with quickened heart and ear intent to each sharp clause of that stern argument, I still can hear at times a softer note of the old pastoral music round me float, while through the hot gleam of our civil strife looms the green mirage of a simpler life as, at his alien post, the sentinel drops the old bucket in the homestead well, and hears old voices in the winds that toss above his head the live-oak's beard of moss. So, in our trial time, and under skies shadowed by swords like Islam's paradise, I wait and watch, and let my fancy stray to milder scenes in youth's Arcadian day, and howsoever the pencil dipped in dreams shades the brown woods or tints the sunset streams. The country doctor in the foreground seems, whose ancient sulky down, the village lanes dragged, like a war-car, captive ills and pains. I could not paint the scenery of my song, mindless of one who looked thereon so long, who, night and day, on duty's lonely round, made friends o' the woods and rocks, and knew the sound of each small brook, and what the hillside trees said to the winds that touched their leafy keys, who saw so keenly and so well could paint the village folk, with all their humors quaint, the parson ambling on his wallied roan grave and erect, with white hair backward blown, the tough old boatman, half amphibious grown, the muttering witch-wife of the gossip's tale, and the loud straggler levying his blackmail, old customs, habits, superstitions, fears, all that lies buried under fifty years. To thee, as is most fit, I bring my lay, and grateful, own the debt I cannot pay. Over the wooded northern ridge, between its houses brown to the dark tunnel of the bridge the street comes straggling down. You catch a glimpse, through birch and pine, of gable, roof, and porch, the tavern with its swinging sign, the sharp horn of the church. The river's steel-blue crescent curves to meet, in ebb and flow, the single broken wharf that serves for sloop and gundelow With salt sea scents along its shores the heavy hayboats crawl, the long antennae of their oars and lazy rise and fall. Along the gray abutment's wall the idle shadnet dries. The tall man in his cobbler's stall sits smoking with closed eyes. You hear the pier's low undertone of waves that chafe and gnaw. You start. A skipper's horn is blown to raise the creaking draw. At times a blacksmith's sandal sounds with slow and sluggard beat, or stagecoach on its dusty rounds fakes up the staring street. A place for idle eyes and ears, a cobweb nook of dreams. Left by the stream whose waves are years the stranded village seems. And there, like other moss and rust, the native dweller clings, and keeps, in uninquiring trust, the old, dull round of things. The fisher drops his patient lines, the farmer sows his grain, content to hear the murmuring pines instead of railroad train. Go where, along the tangled steep that slopes against the west, the hamlet's buried idlers sleep in still profounder rest. Throw back the locust's flowery plume, the birch's pale green scarf, And break the web of briar and bloom from name and epitaph. A simple roll of death, of pomp and romance shorn, the dry, Old names that common breath has cheapened and outworn. Yet pause by one low mound, and part the wild vines o'er it laced, And read the words by rustic art upon its headstone traced. Haply, yon white haired villager of fourscore years can say what means the noble name of her who sleeps with common clay. An exile from the Gascon land found refuge here and rest, and loved, of all the village band, its fairest and its best. He knelt with her on Sabbath morns, he worshipped through her eyes, and on the pride that doubts and scorns stole in her faith's surprise. Her simple daily life he saw by homeliest duties tried, in all things by an untaught law of fitness justified for her his rank aside he laid. He took the hue and tone of lowly life and toil, and made her simple ways his own. Yet still, in gay and careless ease, to harvest field or dance he brought the gentle courtesies, the nameless grace of France. And she who taught him love not less from him, she loved in turn caught in her sweet unconsciousness what love is quick to learn. Each grew to each in pleased accord, nor knew the gazing town if she looked upward to her lord or he to her looked down. How sweet, when summer's day was o'er, his violin's mirth and wail, the walk on pleasant Newberry's shore, the river's moonlit sail. Ah, life is brief, though love be long, the altar and the bier, the burial hymn and bridal song, were both in one short year. Her rest is quiet on the hill, beneath the locusts bloom far off her lover sleeps as still within his scutcheon tomb. The Gascon lord the village maid, in death still clasped their hands. THE LOVE THAT LEVELS RANK AND GRADE UNITES THEIR SEVERED LANDS. WHAT MATTER WHO'S THE HILLSIDE GRAVE, OR WHO'S THE blazoned STONE, FOREVER TO HER WESTERN WAVE SHALL WHISPER BLUE GARAN. O LOVE, SO HALLOWING EVERY SOIL THAT GIVES THY SWEET FLOWER ROOM, WHEREVER, NURSED BY EASE OR TOIL, THE HUMAN HEART TAKES BLOOM. PLANT OF LOST EDEN, FROM THE SOD OF SINFUL EARTH UNRIVEN, WHITE BLOSSOM OF THE TREES OF GOD dropped DOWN TO US FROM HEAVEN. This tangled waste of mound and stone is holy for thy sale, A sweetness which is all thy own breathes out from fern and brake. And while ancestral pride shall twine the Gascon's tomb with flowers, Fall sweetly here, O song of mine, with summer's bloom and showers, And let the lines that severed seem unite again in thee, As western wave and gallic stream are mingled in one sea. 1863